right, guys, uh, we are back again with episode whatever. Um, Kyle was supposed to be on this episode, and coordinating me, Kyle, and Steven to get on the same episode is apparently impossible. That's um, why we haven't done it in a while. Correct. So uh, we wanted to get an episode out, so we made the last-minute decision just to – we have a couple people that have wanted to be on. Um, so Kevin Jones is coming, uh, and then obviously uh, – well, I guess you don't know yet, but Chad is on tonight. Uh, Chad, go ahead and explain who you are, what your Instagram is, if people want to check you out. Word. Yeah, so my name is Chad Morrison. Um, right now, my Instagram handle is Billy Chad Bones. Um, I pretty much have a 96 Toyota 4Runner. All right. So tell us, don't tell us how the 4Runner is now. I want to, we know, want to know a little bit more about your story. So start okay. off, what got you into off-roading? We know you've had Tacoma. Talk to us like we don't even have any idea who you are. Um, for my for my sure. first time meeting you was last year in Moab. Um, obviously, Instagram before that. But uh, kind of walk us through what got you into off-roading and then how your forerunner started and then what decisions you made to get it to where it's at today. Word, yeah. So um, pretty much I'm born and raised from Alaska uh, over in the city of Anchorage, which uh, is the highly, highly, most highly populated in Alaska. And pretty much what had gotten me into off-roading was one of my buddies in high school. He had a, just a, to come on like all turning 35s, I mean 33s. I think they were um, just on KO2s. But anyways, he was like, do you need to get a Toyota? You need to get a Toyota. I was like, all right. So I got this, uh, I think it was an 89 uh, Toyota pickup, extended cab. He took me wheeling a, a couple times, and I got mine bone stock. His was, like I said, on 33s, basic stuff like sliders and bumpers. That's I think that was that's all it entailed. And I just I, my truck just kept getting hammered every single time so it, it kind of progressed into 33s and um my dad is a fabricator by trade so he helped me with a, a bunch of stuff that i didn't know how to do at the time so I pretty much picked up welding from him uh, basic fabrication skills at this point um fast forward i leave alaska about i would say two and a half years ago right before that i had sold the pickup had a few other cars then um and i got this third gen foreigner that he also got he kind of got me into it he's like dude screw the tacomas get a third gen foreigner so it's like oh you know what this is honestly seems kind of convenient honestly with me being 20 right now i don't need a bed at this point so i got this third gen and pretty much all my plan was was basic 33s lockers that's all that's all i needed and at this point it's all of us that's yep. yeah every single person we should just skip this part it all starts the same for sure it's 33 <laughs> keep it nice i i bought it from uh an older owner the thing was mint at the time bone stock my foreigner was pristine there was nothing wrong with it anyways i started following uh alex fleming at the time and i started this is when like sherpa was barely starting to pop up I was like, dude, like, hey, like, I start bugging his ass every single day. If, I'm sure if I scanned back on Instagram, he's he'd probably be so tired of me. But anyways, <laughs> got a rack from him, and I peaced out of Alaska. Along the way, I kept begging, bugging Alex every single time. Anyways, um, finally meet him. We're good friends. But now, at the point, it went from 33s, no lockers. I met up with Alex finally. We went to Moab for my first time, did trails. Oh, I need 35s. <laughs> so at this point, this is when I met Kyle, right when, <laughs> right when I got 33s. And he's like, he, he, 
he took us behind the rocks because um, Mike had locked his engine from just third gen Tacoma issues. And so he's on 39s and, you know, the four link and all that. And we were ripping down behind the rocks to get over to um, Pritchett. And I was like, holy crap, this is, is, this is nutty. I've never written anything similar to this. So he helps me get 35s. We both tub stuff. Now at this point, um, I'm at long travel, 37s, dual lockers. I'm trying to get this V8 and I went on a dual case. Um, that's pretty much where I'm at, at this point. So how did wheeling in Alaska compare to wheeling? Because you're, for people that don't know, I well, I'll let you say where you're located in case you don't want to say that. Uh, so for sure. So how does wheeling in Alaska compare to your local areas and then obviously uh, Moab? Yeah, so it's kind of funny, kind of funny because I felt like at the time I had decent experience, but everything in Alaska is swamp. And so it's very different wheeling. If you need, if you're going anywhere, you need mud terrains, blah, blah, blah. It's 180 degree difference comparative to Moab. So I moved to Utah. Um, so like I said, 180 degrees opposite. This is rock crawling. So I pretty much had to start from scratch. I had basic knowledge at this point. Everything I knew in Alaska was useless. It, <laughs> yeah, it literally didn't apply. Right. And so, um, like I said, Alex, I met up with Alex in Moab and I just got the itch. And so I went pretty much to Moab probably two to three times a month, like after oh, wow. after October. Like I, I got pretty good, pretty fast, trying dumb stuff, hitting up people on Instagram. And like most of my friends I have now, like you guys, all Instagram. Yeah. So, um, you know, I just kept, yeah, I just kept bugging different people. And, um, anyways, I'm, I'm at the point now where rock crawling is, you know, that's my thing. And so it's not really any comparison in, in Alaska. I had to throw everything away. Yeah. That makes sense. And then it's like, like, I mean, like I met Steven on Instagram. I met Kyle. On, I mean, I guess I met Kyle on Instagram through Steven, but like, it's so funny how this, like this day and age, it's so easy to get friends from, uh, all over the internet and stuff like that and you get friends and like when i met you it was like we i happened to be in moab and then you're like hey you guys are down there and then we ended up running into each other on hell's revenge um which turned into a whole uh situation i yeah. guess was that the, that was the only time your truck's ever been on its side right um one more <laughs> one more before that but it wasn't it wasn't that too bad at all as right. well i felt like the one when you and i when i flipped it i felt like that wasn't too bad it could have been a lot worse but yes uh something kind of similar to that nothing too bad i think I'll that was here. that was kind of a weird situation too because like you were coming up and it's like i don't know if it caught a bad bounce or just like a little bit too far passenger but it like it literally like caught traction slid down and then flopped onto its side and hell's gate which was i mean it seems like hell's gate's either really easy or like people end up on their side in it so it, it, i don't know that was an interesting one for sure i was surprised and that was like my fifth time going up i think and all four times i did it with no lockers 33s and never had an issue and i think at that point that was my first time doing it with uh i think i was at 35s when i met with you guys i think it was one of my one of my more first time to 35s and um i don't know yeah something weird happened and it just flopped yeah no and then we ran uh was that your first time on rusty nail that was my first time on rusty nail yeah okay hell yeah so a little let's dive back into you and your rig so 
kind of like front to back it right now on like what your setup is. And then once you do that, then we'll go what your plans are here in the future. All right. Yeah. So pretty much I have a stock 3.4. It's a manual. Uh, so that, that definitely brings a lot of party to the game. Um, mm-hmm. It's just on a single ARB compressor with dual ARBs. Um, it's got some Pro Comp 37s with some just standard non, uh, non-B-Lock methods. Um, I got a JD Fab uh, plus 3.5 long travel kit. Uh, just some standard 8-inch uh, coilover body Kings. Um, I'm on a low skip skid setup, um, bud built skids, and I got a heavy flywheel to help with the bigger mass of the tires. And that, that was a, that was a really big difference. I think it's, it's plus 10 pounds from stock. Uh, so I think it's a 36 currently. And that was one of the most biggest differences I made. I kind of, it's a lot easier to idle up versus I have quite a few buddies that are manual and they're ripping their clutch apart and I don't really have too much struggle. Um, but anyways, in the back, I have the just standard Land Cruiser shocks from an 80 series in the back. Uh, same with the springs. It's a pretty basic setup, but I mean, I've done quite a bit of stuff with this. So yeah. I'm, I'm impressed with like how basic it is. You have dual case? Uh, no, not dual case yet. I, uh, I've been waiting on the new Northwest stuff for a while now. Nice. And yeah. then, so your factory geometry, everything in the rear still, right? Factory geometry, everything. Yeah. So I saw somewhere on the interwebs the other day that you have a, uh, you're doing some sort of nine inch swap. What's your plans there? Yeah. So I plan on running a nine inch. Um, I have it pretty much fully built out. I just need my dropout and, um, I need, uh, links, not links, but, uh, joints at this point. So, and I also need coilovers. Basically what my plans is, is I'm hoping, uh, to do a 16 inch coilover setup with a four link and move the gas tank. Okay. Um, That's kind of my setup. And I plan on doing that with Kyle. Nice. Who is Kyle putting your dropout together? What was that? Is Kyle putting your dropout together? Kyle is not. Who's doing it? Um, currently, I don't know. Um, I'm not at the point where I have everything figured out for that yet. So as of well, friend... hit me up because like I've done enough nine inches now. We can definitely. I can tell you what is important and what's not, and then that way you don't waste any money. And then sure. uh, you can, if you haven't bought anything yet, just ship it all to me, and then I can set it up, and then I can ship it down to you. Okay, well, I appreciate that. I'll definitely have to hit you up when I start gathering parts and starting oh, yeah. more information. So what else are you doing? What's I, You said V8 earlier, LS, UZ. What's the plan? So in my garage, I have a 1UZ from a 94 LS400. Um, so okay. it's, a, it's a thicker rod, 1UZ, aluminum block V8. Uh, with my build, um, I don't have any swing outs or anything. It's just a standard uh, tube bumper that me and Kyle had made. Um, I kind of wanted to keep this entire build somewhat light um as light as i can make it without aluminum skids and whatnot i feel like i've seen too much disasters go with that with cracking right. and whatnot mm-hmm. so um i kind of want to keep everything light don't really plan on running a spare if i don't have to and um so i felt like good power plant and whatnot would be v8 which aluminum block is where all that comes from and so that's one of my plans that i'd like to get into after this first trip with the 37s i uh it's kind of sucky having to go down to third gear finally with the 35s i had no issue but right 37 we made it slow um so i plan on doing that and i have nothing but issues my front end so 
what I've been talking about doing is uh, either doing a Ford, uh, uh, a Dano 44 from a Ford or uh, oh. putting everything of, of an eight inch in front of my Forerunner versus the 7.5 clamshell. Yep. Um, I it is in, it's not to interrupt you, Chad, but it's incredible how much stronger the eight inch front end and CVs and everything is than the 7.5 and the third gen or uh, first gen Tacoma CV yeah. setup and everything is. Even the hubs too. Like, yeah, you know, I, I had 35s on my other Forerunner and I was tearing through hubs too after a while. And so, you know, and the guys at Sherpa, they're on their fourth gen and they haven't even gone through hubs yet. Still yeah. stock hubs from the day they bought it. For sure. Yeah, and I mean, go ahead, Chad. For sure. And I mean, I've had a, a lot of debate and conversation on uh, on Facebook groups and on Instagram with people like they're saying you need to go larger. But at the same time, I've been through now 15 axles after this weekend since I've owned a truck. And it's not easy with manual. And it's just how it is. You can't unless you have a dual case, you can't really walk up stuff, baby crawl it. So I'm I got to release my clutch and it just creates a lot of shock load. And I'm looking at, you know, you guys, I'm looking at people who I will with everyone with the eight inch diff setup. I've never even seen a, a broken CV. Right. And so, I mean, people feel like, oh, it's only, you know, a 0.5 inch of, of a ring difference. Well, I mean, if if there's got to be a secret sauce somewhere, if it's not breaking in front of me and I'm willing, you know, pretty aggressively in my opinion. Uh, other I, than CV axles, are you breaking anything else? Any like ADD shafts or anything of that sort? Or so I've broken... A- I've broken one ADD shaft. Um, and other than that, I haven't had too much issue. Oh, I, I tipped a ring up front that I had to get replaced. Um, but in the back, I I have only broken a single axle shaft. Other than that, just CVs. Um, luckily, it hasn't been too traumatic of, you know, actual locker units or anything. It's mostly just uh, um, Napa CVs that I've been breaking through. And I think it's more because it's, worse and you know quality metal and you know just not uh, as goodly produced but toothpicks i mean i've wheeled with kyle many times too and he was we'd use one line and yeah it just you load up a little bit and poop breaks the yeah, sure. it's, it's ridiculous and, and so i mean i'd rather have a link somewhere and rather than taking on the diff i'd rather you know swap a, a cv axle that takes me seven minutes on the trail now um so just to me it's kind of a no-brainer at this point why i haven't gone like rcvs you know something or just even oem try to axles um i have napa lifetime warranty so i just keep my receipt and i just keep switching them out so i mean i've only paid maybe 180 dollars total on cvs <laughs> that's it napa's put the bill for that one yeah, yeah, by yeah. Napa. <laughs> they, they definitely yeah. get they definitely get upset at me i've, I've gotten kicked out of a, a single store down here so I used to rotate. I'd go to one by my work. I'd want to go to one by my house. I'd go to the next city over. That way, they never like really caught on because, you know, I'd only go there like maybe once every couple months. You know, at each one. Yeah, I agree with you wholeheartedly on that one. Like, I've debated doing the RCV thing, but like when I've looked at it, like I went through. uh, So I've technically put five joints in my truck, but I had two that were making noise. in the front end and I run OEM Toyota joints cause I have to, because of the long travel. Um, and so I had two that were making noise and I was like, you know what, let me just re- rebuild these. Um, and so I pulled them apart and 
like you could see extra wear in there, but there was no like cracking or anything. And I figured like the cage was cracked or something that was causing the noise. Um, so I rebuilt those two, which was like, it was kind of pointless to do um, just because of the noise. Cause I have one that makes this, and I had one that was making the noise for like a year and the fucking thing wouldn't break. Yeah. And so I was like, let me just replace it because I was like, I know this is going to break when I don't want it to. We don't have uh, the luxury on the third gen. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and, it makes noise and it breaks the next turn. Yep. yep. So I was, so I replaced those, which I think was unneeded. And then I broke uh, one on Sasquatch, which is a big obstacle open area. All the guys local to me will know what I'm talking about. But I was like, up at the top, I had dropped in. Uh, over this rock and I like drug my rear bumper over the rock. And then now I'm like hooked on the rock with my rear bumper and I need to go back now. And so I'm at full lock passenger, my driver fronts in a hole off the ground. And so I just start loading it up and it's like not moving. Like the truck is not moving. It's just coming up in RPMs. And I just give it a little bit more throttle and it pops. And I was like, it literally, it was all the front end and like the rear tires were like, didn't have very much traction and broke that CV that actually broke the outer joint. And I was like, that's, yeah, that was like kind of driver error in a way. Mm-hmm. And then uh, when we were down at Brown's camp last year, I was on like, I had come up out of little Rubicon, which is anyone ever been to Brown's camp? They know what that is. I was at the top and I was just hung on my uh, rear diff. So I backed up and just hit it. Cause I was like, my rear diff's got an eight or three quarter inch skid plate on the bottom of it welded to it. So I was like, I was like, I built it to smash into shit. So I smash it, make it over the rock. And then as soon as the front end grips up, it broke the driver's side front. And I was (laughs) like, I'm like, what? And it was like, I was coming off the throttle and it broke. And Kevin's like, you broke a CV. I'm like, there's no way. And he's like, yeah. So he pulled it apart. Well, I ended up breaking the axle shaft, uh, the 31 spine chromoly axle shaft, Mm -hmm. um, which in turn smoked the inner because I drove all the way out of the trail with on in three wheel drive uh excuse me so i drove um out and down and i'm sure that kind of tossed the tripod up that was in there um but i had one shaft that i had done something to where like my camber bushings got smoked and i was like bound up turned driver and that cv like like you could see the shaft flexing on the coilover because it was rubbing on the coilover yeah. And after that, you could roll that one shaft across the ground and you could see it like the wave in the shaft. So the shaft was Damn. bent. Uh, and I had forgotten about that. And that happened to be the one that I broke. So I'm like, that thing had to have been fatigued for how long? And that was the same shaft that I had broke on the other side. Uh, and I had put it back in and I had swapped it to the driver's side um, at that point. So, I mean, that shaft had seen... Um, two cv breaks i think and then like you guys know when you break a cv it's not like you're just stopping and changing it right there most of the time yeah you're either winching out or you're driving on it a little bit or whatever so it's like that it as far as that goes and like my front end the eight inch i've had in there for uh five years and i mean most of the people that listen to this and especially you guys know what we do on a regular basis with these so it's like that front end it seems an abuse and then like if they listen to the last episode with steven and sherpa they've broke i believe they've only broke the one ring and pinion in the front uh and they race a thing in fucking 
King of the Hammers and all the other Ultra Four races, and they didn't even break it at King of the Hammers. They broke it on a short course, so it's like right. Yeah, that, ran into a berm. Right, yeah. he ran into a berm, and I'm sure it loaded up that side of the diff, and uh, it like if they can do that with it, like I think that front end's kind of underrated. Mm-hmm. For sure, yeah, no, I agree. Like I said, I mean, <clears throat> you they real really tough, and I go out with them quite a bit. And like I said, just no one breaks anything, so it's just it's kind of and you don't see too many people doing the eight inch stuff in the third gens you've seen like one or two like uh front range but um other than that no one really tries to do it and uh i just mean kyle think it'd be pretty cool to do something that not a lot of people do and also eliminating a lot of issues like you know those add shafts that break and the small cvs so i think it'd be pretty sweet to roll a eight inch setup up front yeah and i've looked at third gen cvs next to like a FJ or GX or 4chan. It's a big CV, difference. And there's a big, di- like, surprising difference. Yeah, there is. Yeah, but it's frustrating. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, what else you got, Chad? Steven, I, I assume you have some questions. You've been pretty quiet tonight. Um. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm just, uh, like I said, I've just been slowly simmering about how angry I, I've been at this trip. Um, I just got home from a thousand... 40 mile trip or something like that like momentarily as as i got home and finished unloading trevor's like all right time to go so I just, <laughs> i've been slowly simmering on the inside just all my anger but i think that's all i got going on i got a standard sherpa rack um other than that I, it's a pretty basic setup it, it does what i wanted to do for the most part it just breaks a lot at this point what what did you break on this last trip okay so um i just had my parents uh come down from alaska they've never really done the rock crawling they've never been to utah so i just got all this long travel all figured out with 37s and i went from stock with the 35s to long travel 37s without really even a test drive um so and there was a quite a bit of learning curve uh, along with the long oh, yeah. travel i didn't really ever have to deal with too much cv buying nothing like that so for me it took a lot of a, a lot of dialing in to get everything where where i want it but anyways mm-hmm um we go take a trip down south i i had to stop at moab just to see how the 37s and long travel would be in comparison so i hauled us up moab rim didn't have too much issue um uh coming down moab rim i hit my driver's side tire and um you just heard my inner tie rod just bend so i was like shoot so i i fixed a little bit better and kind of Went on over to Poison Spider. I have an extra inner tire rod. I just didn't want to do it at the time. It was kind of rainy and windy. Just, I didn't want to do it at the time. So went up Poison Spider and just going up one of the earlier sections, uh, my I engaged my front locker and all of a sudden just cranks to the right. And before I even had any reaction time, just blew up a CV. Just yep. got it I've out. seen that happen before. Yeah, that'll get you every time <laughs> for sure. It's, it's never happened to me before, and so, anyways, back her off, replaced the uh, the CV real quick. Um, did poison spider on the way down. Um, it, it, my steering was still pretty bad, and I was just being stupid. I was like, "Fuck it, I'm gonna wait till I get down where I need to camp tonight, and I'll fix everything then." So we go where I need to go. I fix it everything's better for a while we go back up north um and we're doing a bunch of like i would say overland style trails to get to this one point in central utah so we did 
I think it was like 85 miles of, of dirt trail. Um, my parents had rented this, this to come on 34s and whatnot that they've never really done crazy off-roading. So anyways, we aired down tires and, um, at this point, uh, I just broke into the CV and the inner tie rod and we're going up this trail and I was like, wow, my, my deal's feeling pretty loose. Probably eight seconds later, my, my entire truck just crumbles down. And I, at that point I kind of knew exactly what it was. So mm-hmm. I got out joint. third gen things. I could barely open my door. I had to crank open my door ball joint. Was and it the ball so, joint or the studs? So what had happened, it was, it was so instant when I knew it. So when I took a look outside, my nut was gone and my joint was still in the ball joint. And I look at my other ball joint. I forgot my goddamn Carter pins. <laughs> That's so, something so stupid too. That's that sucks. So it's always stupid. a dumb shit like that. And I, I meant to put in the Carter pins. Uh, I was just in a crunch time. Totally forgot it. I, I worried about other stuff. And so pretty much what had happened, at least what my hypothesis was, um, is that the um, the nut just came loose. And it, when the taper came out of the uh, lower control arm, it just ripped that nut out. So um, I, I had spare lower ball joints, but I totally forgot as well that I need to drill my, um, my tie rods out to five eights because I'm now on five eights outer heim joints as tie rods. Mm. Oh and shit! So, yeah, so at this point, my ball joints I had totally useless. useless. An- another another screw up. I should have I should have done it. And so I had to pretty much retap the freaking lower ball joint with a spare castle nut that I had. Managed to get everything on somehow. It's tr- I need I need to change it immediately this week. But <laughs> anyways, I got it in. It, it broke another CV when that happened. Um, chewed my fender up. And so, um, so I get all that figured out. We go more North, we get where we need to go camp, blah, blah, blah. On the way back home, I'm like, dang, now my tie rod is, is really screwed up. And, um, I'm looking for my tie rod. I can't find my, my dang inner tie rod to change. I remembered before, before packing, I took everything out just to clean everything up. I forgot my dang, I forgot half of my freaking parts. I would have been so screwed if I was on an actual hard wheeling trip. Right. So I was like, dude, I got to figure this out somehow. So I kind of eyeball my alignment up on the, we get almost home. And um, my dad behind me, he calls me, he's like, hey, dude, you got a flat tire. And so I'm like, you've got to be kidding. It's at this when it point, rains, it pours. <laughs> it feels like it's been just relentless. Like I just been getting pounded, 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 pounded. And so it like ended up being a trip. freaking nail in the tire. And so I got brand new 37s. I'm all pissed about. Well, I look up front and my my alignment's so bad. It already wore more than half of my freaking tires. Oh, and shit. So plug, plug retire and I finally got home and I'm just mustering with anger right now. Uh, I should have just fixed the inner tie rod at Moab. So, so hear me out, Chad. All right. <laughs> uh, you can, I think all-star performance makes them a bunch of company companies make them all-star performance okay. makes the cheapest ones. They're really common in the drift community. They're called toe plates. Uh, okay. I don't know if you have any idea what I'm talking about, but. It's literally two aluminum plates that have some contours cut into them and slots for tape measures. 
Kayla has some for her drift car, and unbeknownst to her, every time I go wheeling, they're in the back of the FJ. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so if something like that happens, you literally lean them up against the tires, make sure they're sitting like on the edge of the tire flat. Like it doesn't look as long as they're, even if they're on the lugs, as long as they're on the same lug, you'll be close enough. Run yeah. two state measures across and you can set the toe uh, like that. And I've had it even on my own rig, but like on other people's stuff where like Mark, my buddy broke a tie rod and I threw the toe plates on there because we're far enough from home. It's like, it sucks to drive that far with a shitty alignment and it really sucks to wear your tires out. And toe plates are like, I think they're like 65 bucks or something like that. Mm -hmm. Uh, So you buy a set of toe plates for 65 bucks or you make your girlfriend buy a set of toe plates for 65 bucks and then you can just (laughs) use them. She's giving me such a look right now. (laughs) (laughs) And then it's it's 65 bucks and two tape measures. And I just go, I have two 12 foot tape measures that I just clip to the toe plates. And then I just drop them in my box in the back. And it's like, they've probably saved, I don't know, at that, you know, $2,000 in people's tires. I've always just done eyeball alignment. And I mean, yeah, you can usually eyeball it pretty close. And like, eyeball it and it works. I mean, I have no bad tire wear, except I like to have a little bit more camber. So yeah, I do like, I like to run like a net. But I wear a little bit more on the inside, but barely. A degree, degree and a half or so like that. But like, even when I swap my rack out in Moab, I was like, yeah. I got a, now I have a, you know, 1300 mile drive home. Uh, so once we swapped the rack out, I put the toe plates on it, reset the toe. And then I was like, I know I'm going to be good the rest of the way home. So yep. Trevor, it's also, really funny you say that because I own a set of toe plates and I've been running my life <laughs> off of toe plates for. And you don't bring them with you? A year and a half. So with my 35, I've never really had too much issue because everyone else always have toe plates with them. This time right. I was like, I'm not even gonna wheel hard. I'm 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 not bringing the toe plates. <laughs> One time, that's how it always is. So that's another compounding deal that I was pissed that I didn't bring my toe plates because I rely everything on my toe plates. And um, another issue I was dealing with my my I think it's because my my springs are are too soft for the motion ratio. My ride height keeps changing, and in relation to that, my my freaking alignment kept changing. Yep. So I think that was an, another compounding issue of why I was having so much wear. But that means you have yeah, bump steer. What was that? That means you have bump steer if your alignment yeah, changes no, with ride I, height. Yeah, I, I, I do. Is is there how how do I do I need a, a stiffer it's, spring? No, I mean you you want to fix the bump steer. <laughs> yeah, um, that's because explain you, it, Steven. So you haven't as, talked this whole podcast. You have I know, right? Now. <laughs> I'm just listening. I'm enjoying it. Uh, so it feels like I'm listening to the podcast rather than being on it. So. Bump steer is as your tire cycles, you'll have toe change as your uh, as your suspension cycles. Well, For as sure. you have toe change up and down, that is your bump steer. When you hit a bump, your your toe changes and your steering yeah. changes. So when you end up going with Heim steering, typically the angle or the distance between the like misalignment basically of the ball joint versus a Heim ends up being a little bit different. There's a clevis mm-hmm. side, and you have your Heim side on your tie rod. It doesn't take much for even an eighth of an inch of difference to, between the pivot points on either side can change your steering, you know, bump steer. So mm. or your it's, toe the, change. It's, the, it's the Himes. It's the Himes. Yep. It really is. And so I there's see. the benefit. There's a pros and cons to it. You know, one of the benefits is now you have some strongest shit stuff that isn't going to just break and fold as nearly as easy, but. Now you have to deal with the bump steer. So the way that guys figure that shit out is 
you really have to figure out where it was initially. And then from there, you know, try to dial it back in by either shimming or, you know, grinding down potentially, or it's, it's a pain you're in the ass. You're talking about in terms of misalignment spacer, grinding either down misalignment spacers. Cause on the, on the Heim side, on the outer, that's really where it ends up being is it's, it's on the Heim side or on the misalignment side. Yeah. So you can, you can potentially get that a little bit closer as long as you're not binding. Uh, but on the clevis side, there's only so much you could really do as For long sure. as the clevis is close enough. So you might not be far off. I what? knew it was the Himes. I knew it. Everyone was like trying to tell me this and that. I'm like, dude, the only thing I've really changed majorly were the Himes. That was the biggest thing that changed. And, and with the JD Fab kit too, it's not like they designed their shit to be like off, you know, they, they're really good For at what sure. they do. So it's not like you're, you know, I'm, I'm assuming your issue is your, your toe is your, your 100%. Okay. Yeah. So that's, that's your Himes. And that's, it, mm. It's kind of funny because, like, the JD Fab kit or JD Fab does such a good job at like their geometry and everything from all the kits that I've seen. And they, uh, they use stock lower uh, ball joints anyway, so it right. really it shouldn't change much in the first way because you're using stock spindles and stock lower ball joints. So really, any long travel kit, as long as you're using the stock spindles and lower ball joints, you shouldn't have any difference from stock when it comes to the toe change really because yeah, otherwise you're going to have fucking craziness I, I in your hand camera. Off. I'm like, this does not make sense. It's never driven like this. I've never had a single issue like this. I knew it was the Heim. So are uh, you running last... stock cam plates or are you running the eliminators? So I'm running the eliminators by Elijah and I'm running nice. to the point I'm having, cr I can't really dial in my camber it's, and, and I'm having either crazy uh, negative camber issues or I'm having crazy positive camber issues so what really? i'm thinking i might do is i might run the eliminators in the rear for the caster and then weld some tabs some regular eccentrics after i can get my um my camber dialed in just just running a tack weld on just the, changing one at a time isn't enough to dial in your camber so I'm, all my vehicles that i've ran i've had two vehicles third gents that i've mm -hmm. ran it on no long travel, but I mean, kind of the theory is the same. I've been able to dial in my. So my with camera. my STCs, it was stupid easy to dial in when I was stuck oh, yeah. with, with the eliminators. But just because my uppers aren't adjustable, I've been having issues where I can't get the camber I want at the desired ride height that I want. Is kind of my so issue. That it's not going to play into your bump steer, but that could be my thing. My initial. Like knee jerk reaction is bent spindle. Is what bent spindles? Mm. Could be, but you're gusseted, right? It's gusseted, yeah. I, I mean, broke both my gusseted spindles, Stephen. <laughs> true. Fourth gens are more, more known for breaking true. gusseted spindles, but I don't know. You never really know. It, it uh, seemed like so the the guy that I bought this kit from, it, he bought it. He did everything near brand new, and it showed everything like. The powder coating was like near brand new. It looked like nice. And anyways, he said he had barely just bought the OEM spindles and put the gussets on, and everything wow. like looks true to what he said. It still has <clears throat> near brand new factory coating and whatnot. And I mean, it it seems as if it's a brand new spindle. So I I'm I'm not saying I disagree. I just it's kind of weird how. Yeah, no, it, I that makes and, sense. What I would do is. You can buy like bubble levels off Amazon, like magnetic ones. Yeah. Uh, buy one of those, and then uh, you can magnetize it. Like, take your coilover out. Yeah. Magnet magnetize it at what your ride height is. It doesn't really matter. You can go to full droop if you want, and then run it up to full bump. 
don't let the steering move at all and then see your what, camber the, change. what your camber change is because if you're saying that you're you're at the desired ride height that you can't get the camera to fall into me that tells me that there's a lot of camber change over mm-hmm. uh which there is on third gens there on, is a lot of camber change and, in, and on, mm-hmm. on on the 120 series so like the fjgx whatever right so on the 120 series stuff there's a, a lot of camber change too like i think at full droop i'm zero camber and i think at uh full stuff i'm like probably three degrees to camber there's still a decent amount i don't know if it's worse uh on third gens or not probably okay uh, you and do that and see like that that can help with if you're getting a tenor camber change that might be reaching out to jd and seeing if that's a common thing with that kit mm-hmm. um and camber change can also uh affect bump steer too um, yeah, yeah. It, it it depends on where you're getting the camber change but anytime you're like obviously we're on video and the people listening aren't but if your wheels are zero camber and yep. if they go negative as it travels up that point where your tie rod is mounted uh is also moving um so gotcha. you can get some bumps here from camber change too it's not going to be nearly as bad as if your uh your tie rod angle isn't as good and bump steer is kind of weird and steven probably knows more about this than i do but like if you look at like where your camber bolt and your um caster bolts are so like where your lower control arm mounts to the frame and if you draw a straight line from there to where your uh the center of your ball joint so where it mounts to the spindle mm-hmm. don't follow the arm and a lot of people do that wrong because the arm and the tie rod could be yeah, off pivot angle, to pivot but pivot it's to supposed pivot to be parallel should be parallel not, to the not tie necessarily rod. no not necessarily the, the 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 arms might not be but dive into this a little bit further steven you probably can this better than <laughs> so I. so it depends on it's going to be because your tie rod is going to be closer to your lower control arm so yes. it's in general it's going to be close to being parallel but it's not going to be exactly parallel it's going to be more parallel to your lower because it's closer to your lower but really what you have to look at is there's there's a couple different planes and axes that you have to look at but you want if you're I mean, it's, I see it's, where you're going so with this because your rack, your it, your, your rack, rack is another inch or two higher than your lower control arm. So but it's, it's not directly like, in the middle. It's almost like weighted average between the two angles based on the distance. That, if makes, that sense. makes sense. Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. It, sure. it might be hard without the visual representation yeah. of our uh-huh. arm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Everyone's gonna be like, "What? The, what are you even what? talking?" We about? lost them. We lost them. <laughs> uh, which is funny that because, like Steven said earlier, if a kit uses a factory lower ball joint uh and you're using a factory spindle spindle and tie rod setup your bump steer should be really good assuming the kit follows that most kits are really really good at that yeah Um, unfortunately like with my kit the gen 1 all pro kit they use a uniball as a lower ball joint and with the fact with the misalignment spacers they give you your uh like you get a decent amount of bump steer so like if I was on factory tie rods and their misalignment spacer set up uh, from full boot, from full boot, from full bump <laughs> to full droop, uh, you're talking like almost a half inch to three quarters inch of bumps here. It's a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, so I ran a a shorter misalignment spacer on the upper side. So it actually moves the upper or the sorry, on the upper side of the lower ball joint. So it moves the lower control arm uh, closer to the center of the hub 
And then when I went to the Tundra tie rod setup, it actually moves the tie rods out. Um, so it makes that the tie rod angle a little bit more severe. And doing that, it changed the bumps here within like a three eighths to a quarter inch. Um, yeah, yeah. Nice. And so the the newest All Pro kit is way better um, as far as that goes. Uh, but I know there are still kits out there, but I don't think JD Fab, I don't think their kits are. I've never looked at a JD Fab kit on a third gen. It, it really, mm-hmm. it's not even that because there's only so much you could do because a lot of this geometry is going to, you're yarning stock lower pivots, oh, stock upper pivots, stock or not stock upper on the spindle because you have a uniball now. So it does change the geometry a little bit. But I mean, what's the people are running what an eighth of a difference inch? of uh misalignment difference between different kits and then mm-hmm. your stock lower ball lower ball joint so really like the only dimensional change that you can get on these different kits is maybe you're running a little bit different misalignment uh spacing distance on the upper other than that gotcha. like, yeah you have a little bit different lengths by a little bit but you can't go that much because you have a cv axle that's going to bind if you go too yep. much so really all these kits are going to have almost the exact same geometry as long as you're using stock spindles or stock lower ball joints. The only difference is now clearance. Are there room for bypasses? Is there, you know, clearance for shit, really? I mean, that's that yeah. look cool. <laughs> what, what you can do, Chad, to kind of get like an easy um, idea of what you have going on is if you, uh, even with the coilovers in, it doesn't really matter. But if you take the wheels off, put the truck on jack stands, put the jack stands on the spindles if you are on the control arms if you can. Mm-hmm. Uh, put an angle finder like on your hub, set it yeah. at zero, then take it and put it on your tie rod. See what the angle of your tie rod is currently. Mm-hmm. And then take that tie rod setup out, put a stock tie rod in there with no heim or anything on it and see what that angle difference is. is. Yeah, that, that that's not the best way to do it, but that will give you an idea if if your tie rod angle is three or four degrees different, that will give you so much bumps here. Oh, yeah. I mean, even gotcha. one or two degrees is enough yeah. to, to really notice something different. Yep. So there's and a lot of different you... ways that you could do that. You could do like a, a tracing line too, and you could find out and you can cycle it and have these different lines where you mark it, like with a pencil yep. kind of thing. And you could cycle it and move it. And it's wherever that point kind of crosses. And you're going to get some bumps here. I mean, with a stock kit and you're changing. Yeah. You can't, you're not changing all the different geometry points. I mean, there's only so close you can get. And every kit, no matter how badass it is, is going to have some degree. Now, the benefit is of a really high-end setup of, like, race trucks. There's very minimal bump steer, but everything has some. Now, how do you can how can you eliminate it? Well, we're in your situation like yours where you can't just change the lower pivots, the upper pivots. Like, you're still running stock ball joints or whatever. There's only yeah. so much you can really change unless you want to get, like, really gnarly into the fab work. So, just get as close as you can. And close enough to factory is probably going to be the nearly the best point gotcha and it's it's definitely like so noticeable that the the jd fab himes it's the angle difference is crazy because i i I firsthand remembered because i had one side with the stock tie rods and the other side with the himes it's i I remember how crazy the difference is so in the height above the above 100 yeah yep tie rod arm do third chains mount on the top or bottom of the spindle top i don't remember top of the spindle Yep. That was a big thing on 120 series for a while. There's a few people making kits where you drill the uh, spindle out and then they put the you tie rod the in bottom. from the top because it's the oh, 120 yeah. series from the bottom. <laughs> and so they do that. And I'm like, when I first saw the kit, I was like, that's sick. And I was like, wait a second. I was like, that has to drive like shit. Because like, as you go around corners, like especially in loose setups, like all of us have no sway bars yeah. and stuff like that, where you have a 
you know, especially a decent amount of travel in the rear. Once a truck unloads one direction, you're going to get bump steer essentially on that one side that's unloading too. And it's just not going to drive good on the road either. Yeah. My buddy, he was on the way to the river uh, last summer and he was telling me like a couple days before that he was going to be upgrading his tie rods. And I was like, oh, cool, man. Yeah, that's, that's cool. Whatever. On the way to the river and his wife's driving and she had to like swerve a little bit because something was in the road and she ended up going off the fucking road. He said it was so bad. The steering when he upgraded to Himes, it was a different truck. It was on F-150, but he right. did the same thing. He thought that, oh, more clearance, like get them nice and flat because they say like, oh, your pan hard bar should be flat. So he just, for some reason, thought, oh, yeah, you get, you know, make things flat and level at ride height. So he's like, oh, I'll throw the Himes on top of it. And he said the bump steer was so bad that he literally, his wife was driving and it took her off the road when she had to swerve for something in the road. Like, yeah, uh, not if, big either. If you unload and that shit tows out, like, That's I drive Kayla, even Kayla's drift car on the road, which like three quarters of an inch to tow out, which is like a decent drifted setup, especially because since it doesn't get driven on the road that often, it usually goes on a trailer. She drives it to work, you know, that's a few miles away. So it's like, it doesn't like, we're not really worried about tire wear. But that thing, it is like, it's lucky it's super slammed because like it, the, the steering is so sensitive on that. And it is all to do with. Oh, it's probably wanting it to out. pull constantly. One it way is. Or the other. Like you're con- you turn, like, there's probably a ton of understeer too. Huh? Yes. Yep. Yeah. yeah a ton no, of but... understeer unless it's at angle. Like that's basically. Yeah. Unless you're, <laughs> unless you're going the opposite direction. So on yeah. a drift car like that, do you change your spindles for like different Ackerman? Like your uprights or your, you to, like, get, like some crazy wild, wild Ackerman? Yeah. It. It, it's like super driver. At that point, you're almost like wanting reverse Ackerman because you're always like hitting it from the opposite direction. So yes and no. It's like really common in the drift community to where you kind of want that inside tire to drag. Mm-hmm. Um, so you're almost running like the kit on her car is zero Ackerman. It doesn't quite have zero Ackerman because of the caster so push forward. Um, so like a drift car, like seven to 10 degrees of caster because it self steers that way. So when you're like at lock, and then when the car's transition, you can let go of the steering wheel and basically go to lock Hell the other yeah. direction. Yeah. Um, and then, like, if you look at it, when her car's at full lock, her leading tire, so if you're on a right-hand corner, the left-hand tire uh, has, like, 60 degrees of steering angle. But the inside tire is probably, I don't know, 52, 55 degrees. Mm-hmm. Um, but in, especially, like, if you look at, like, like pro cars, from Formula Drift cars and stuff, they have so much grip. Or if they're like on it in a corner, that inside tire, uh, the trailing tire is off the ground um, because they're running so much grip. So it's like that inside tire affects it so little. It's like either guys like a lot of Ackerman or zero. So Um, you guys running super stiff front sway bars? It kind of depends. Like it's again, it's like a driver feel. She's running like a 35 millimeter sway bar in the front. Um, with like a mild setup, but like her car's so low, uh, she runs a uh, sixteen thousand kilogram front spring or whatever, however they word it, sixteen k hmm. front spring and a fourteen k rear spring. So the car is already stiff, so the sway bar kind of takes a little bit less mm-hmm. effect into it. Mm-hmm. And then like on those cars, like you cut and shorten the spindles, um, and then you run roll center adjusters on the lower control arms. Like there, it, there's so much. It's like completely opposite of what we do because bump steer doesn't matter nearly as much because her full flat (laughs) yeah and her full suspension travel is like four minimal like it's like you're not 
worried about that much. And like once the car sets in the corner, you're basically running on the leading tire anyway. That trailing tire is kind of nil at that point. So for uh, sure. I mean, and I'm talking a lot of shit, like, as if, you know, I hate this long travel. It's so much crazy with that I was doing all this stuff stock with up until going up Moab Rim. Like, I hauled ass up Moab Rim by myself. It took maybe 30 minutes, if yep. that. Nice. Do you so, a big difference? Oh, it was a huge difference. The only thing now that I'm, that I'm crying for is, is a dual case. It was, it was a little hard on the clutch with the 37s. Yeah, once you get that rear suspension, dude, you're going to notice a huge difference. For sure, yeah. Rear suspension is so underrated that people, you know, they go straight to long travel. And when you're rock crawling and stuff, then long travel up front is beneficial because it helps you get more planted, blah, blah, more travel. Yeah. You can run softer springs and all that stuff. But when you're out in the desert, it's up travel in the rear, you know, real good set rear setup is fucking night and day. And you'll know when you do your four link too. Just the control that you have when you're slamming into corners. It's so nice. None of that I, weird, yeah, no. wonky, under, uh, understeering over tier. That's what bothers me. The, like, I've talked to a few guys nowadays, and they're, like, like not newer to the FJ community, but maybe, like, because, uh, like, as far, like, Tacoma goes, Tacoma-wise, like, there's a bunch of people nowadays that are really pushing Tacomas, and then, like, but, like, FJ-wise, like, I have a lot of people that or like, would you do this before this or this before this? And I'm like, yeah. I'm like, do it all at once. <laughs> I'm like, honestly, it's like, I like one guy was telling me he's like, I'm thinking about going up to 35s, blah blah blah. blah. My 33s are kind of new, and I was like, I would rather have an FJ with like a decent lift on it and a front locker and 33s and 35s and no front locker. I'm like, yeah, for sure. For the especially for like rock crawling stuff, I was like, the front locker makes such a difference, especially on these trucks where. I was like, you can three-wheel the shit out of them if you have a front locker. Like, that doesn't matter. And I was like, the on-road driving and the uh, performance gains I noticed off-road from three-linking it was, like, night and day difference compared to the long yeah. travel kit. Like, the long yeah. travel kit helps a so lot. Nice. But I was like, even on times where I'm like, I'm on obstacles and you need to stay on that line, when I don't have, like, nine degrees of rear here now, and it's like <laughs> the when the rear drops out, like people look at her like that's the roll so, steer. Yeah. Yeah. Like like your the roll steer is so minimal now your, where your tire so nice. your one side tire is basically pointing to the other adjacent yeah, tire. Crazy. Yeah. It's and it's wild. like it Imagine drives... going around a corner, a mountain road corner. That's what I noticed because I had super soft springs before I did my four link. You go around a corner super hard and it's all of a sudden it's just like holy shit and you're just trying yeah. to correct your link steering. You almost. Yeah. You're steering four or five times in the corner versus like like literally now and like my lower links are kind of short my lower which i've explained this a bunch of times i'm sure but excuse me this beer is really getting me uh my lower links are the like an inch longer than sock but on an fj which i don't know if either of you've ever looked at uh a 120 series rear end so like on a third gen your lower link bolt is like center line of the front of the axle right oh yeah it's a little forward yeah and your guys is in the rear of the axle it's, for some weird it's reason. almost center line of the rear of the axle for whatever fucking reason toyota thought that was a good idea so if your axle tube is three inches just it's moving it to the fr- back <laughs> just moving it to the front of the axle like center line of the front of the axle you're gaining three inches of link length and then if you're using any sort of mount right you're moving it another inch and a half inch and three quarter two inches further forward so my links are like an inch longer than a sock link are, but they're moved forward like four and a half, almost five inches from stock. But they're still, 
I think they're 29 inches. They're still kind of short. Um, so like for most of my travel, I don't get any rear steer for up travel. I don't get any rear steer or roll steer. Uh, but when that tires all the way at droop, that's when you kind of start to see it on that one side. Cause it's starting to pull that mm-hmm. uh, yeah. axle so far forward. And I do run a decent amount of link separation in the rear. Cause I like that high ante squat. And I think high ante squat is kind of underrated on an IFS setup, unless you're trying to do what Steven's trying to do, which it Steven's definitely more building his truck to go. I mean, Steven, you can chime in, but like, it seems like you're more like 60, 70% go fast, like 40, oh, yeah. 30% rock. Probably. Yeah. Probably 70, 80% go fast is my goal. Right. And, and so be able to play in the rocks, but I'd rather go fast. Right. Desert. And so and like, I have desert fucking 30 so seconds close. away from my house. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and so like my setup is like the same thing. It's like 70, 80% rocks. So it's a little bit on the opposite end of spectrum. And I know we've talked about this in podcasts from, you know, years ago, uh, a lot of like trophy trucks and stuff run a low anti squat. So when they get on the throttle, the rear will squat. Um, yeah. and they can get the front end up out of the whoops and stuff like that. Versus on, and I, I don't know what Steven's going to end up shooting for, but like I know on my setup, my anti squat's like 101% or something like that. I wanted to get as close to that 100% mark that I could because Western Washington or Washington wheeling were on steep inclines and shit all of the time. In Moab, a lot of stuff is steep. And so when you're, if you're two foot break, if you're two foot driving, uh, and you're up near that hundred percent, you're really starting to load the front mm-hmm. end up, and it's just mechanical advantage at that point. To where, yeah, if I'm doing go fast stuff, even like mild whoops, and I lay into it, like you can kind of feel the front end start to push down. Um, yeah, this is up. Mm-hmm. Which is not necessarily ideal. I mean, it's not depends what you're doing. Right. If you're trying to go up a ledge, you want that front end to be pushed down as far forward as possible. Like that's something right. I noticed on my Forerunner when I moved. I had a spare tire on the back. I had the rear fuel tank. I had my battery in the rear. And when I was going up steep shit, like my front tires barely had any traction because yep. I had basically nothing up front. I had a you know a lightweight engine cage that I built, and like that's it. There's nothing really else. All the weights in the rear. And yep. yeah, it was, it was totally different, but I go and, and watch you guys. And when we went up that ledge, what was it? Mini, what was that little, that trail that you guys did? You, Vince, um, Tuan didn't do it. Didn't you do it? I when didn't we went to Brown's camp. there. That was many, I assume you're talking about mini Rubicon. I didn't I think that was you it. were there. But yeah, uh, noticing all that weight. Remember we sat on the bumper and it just went, yep. and it just picked yep. right up. All that front weight helps. And I think that's huge. Ledges. Cause like, and I know that Steven, you and I have talked about it before, uh, about like weight behind the rear tire. How much can it affect? the setup and like the one obstacle up here that denied me every single time was sasquatch and like the right side of sasquatch i had made and then now the right side is quite a bit easier um up until like two weeks ago now it's getting dug out really bad um but the left side has kind of stayed the same and i got denied on that every single time and like every video i watched like even if i try to bump it you just see the rear end squat and it would just squat and like you could tell there was no weight on the front tires. So one time I got so frustrated, I cut the link mounts off the, the axle um, after it was three linked, lowered them down to get, uh, yeah, I was losing a little bit of ground clearance, but anti squat, you don't got to move the, you don't, have to move much. you don't have to move much. I moved it an inch and a half and it took me from 65% anti squat to a hundred percent. And the next time we went out there, uh, I made it all the way past the section that I got stuck on all the time, made a stupid choice. That's when I broke the CV. And then shortly after that, I went out there and I 
Twan spotted me and we like walked up it. And I was like four, five times before that, I tried the same exact obstacle and got denied in the same spot. And you could see the truck doing the same thing every time. And then changing the anti-squat massively changed the performance. And then I had changed it like two weeks before we left for Moab. I hadn't even wheeled it yet. And I was like, we'll see how this goes. This was last year. And then when we go to Moab, I take the rear tire off and I put it inside behind my driver's seats and take the rear seats out. Cause I'm not going to have people back there anyway. And I noticed like that much anti-squat and then moving that 110 pound rear tire from two feet behind the oh, axle. I get you to, up ledges way better. Oh man. It, it was, it was crazy. Like going up ledges and thinking I'd have to bump and then the front end just bites and like mm-hmm. give it a little foot break to get it to load the front end up. It was completely different. Yeah, it's it really you really have to focus on what your goals are in your build because yep. like for mine, I'm focusing on putting as much weight. I have such a short wheelbase and I'm pushing the axle back so far that I'm trying to put as much weight behind the axle as possible. Yep. And it's not going to be great for rock crawling because the front end is going to be so light. But right for desert stuff, that's what you need. You need that balance and just let the rear end soak it all up. And if and that, really that was that was kind of my idea behind, you know, the whole weight deals, not running a spares because it's such a noticeable difference that people don't realize having a plated bumper, having a spare, having jerry cans in the back, uh, even, even a, a tent that, you know, that plays more, more on the backside versus the front side. Yep. I ride with a buddy, you know, with, with all set above a spare, he's got 30, a full size spare and everything. And it does not climb nearly as good as what my for, my foreigner does. And mm-hmm. it's, I'm pretty stoked to get the geometry train changed to how I would like it, which mm-hmm. is, you know, like whichever we're saying, uh, bumped up anti-squat. So it's, it's crazy with how all that is noticeable, even with stock geo. Oh yeah, totally. There's so much that, and it, that's, what's fun about, like for me, that's why I got kind of nerded out on suspension in the first place. Cause I started realizing, you know, reading forums and reading things about suspension. And I started realizing like, oh shit, that makes sense. And then when I did it for the first time myself, it's like, holy shit, this is like night and day. And then you can start tweaking with it. And like, oh, the next setup I do, I'm going to do this. And helping friends and changing things. And it's pretty amazing what you could do when it comes to suspension geometry. For sure. And another thing that's crazy with me to that I've that I ran into immediately when I just put this long travel on was I'm having this eight inch body and I had to limit so much up travel and I had to strap so much down travel. I ha- probably have about three inches of shaft I can't even use. I don't know how everyone on Instagram is running with their stock coil buckets on our third. With no limit straps and shit like that. It's it's insane. Like I'm so upset the shit out of the firewall. Up travel, I lost over having a shorter body, and so that's that's. I'm gonna try to figure out a way that I can make a hoop that you know more thurgeon guys can have, and you know actually use more of their their body versus just you know putting it to the coil. I just I, it's mind blogging how there's not a lot of options available for that. Well, you're talking about in regards to like not limiting your up travel as much. So yeah. one of the options too is just cut the shit out of the firewall and the wheel well. For sure. Just get, and get, let the up travel happen. For sure. And and that's, I'm probably going probably gonna to have to end up retubbing. But I mean, that you're if you're doing long travel shit, you got to, you know, you got to pay the Welcome price. to the club of retubbing. And you'll notice it because you have a third gen. How long have you had your third gen? Uh, I've had it for almost three years now. Okay. Are you starting to notice the uh, core support crumbling? Uh, yeah, I am. Yeah. So once it starts crumbling, like it's almost exponentially fast 
on how far until like literally like it'll start falling apart like you'll lose headlights you'll lose your battery will like literally want to fall through yeah. everything will start to fall off so so my be plan prepared be ready the, <laughs> my plan really soon is taking out the wheels and, and building a higher coil bucket so i can you know change battery uh mounting and like i said sturdy up that core support because i've already had to rewald it twice now from from it cracking on me yeah um so, so it's, it's just, i can't believe how, how many people are just limiting their, their coil buckets to an eight inch body there is a truck that i've seen recently and i'm not going to name the name of it um if you two want to know uh hit me up after um that was seen at jambo uh I believe that dude Zeus, I think is his Instagram, sent it to me um, on. And I'm just gonna fucking tell you, <laughs> Stephen had to send me a message. <laughs> Hopefully, this doesn't backfire. <laughs> Does it ever? No, no one listens to us. Actually, I say that, and like, I think I get messages last, all the time that people in the are last, like, so stoked on it. I'm like, really? People listen to this shit? The last our five episodes, fans, right? And I, we say that all the time, but like the last three new episodes, just between the Everyone three of those, it's Everyone. at like, but it's like, two, it's like 2,000 listens or 3,000 listens or something. I think it was 2850 the last time I looked between the last three episodes we've done. So more people listen to this. We're going to get think. a Hollywood star soon. We, we might as well. I'm waiting for like, <laughs> yeah. I know me and Steven didn't get our sponsor checks from two years ago when we were doing this, but we're still waiting. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, the All Pro Off Road Truck, um, their Tacoma that's on thirty uh, sevens, I believe. It's on Patagucci's. Uh, <laughs> I got a picture, and just for you two, I'll bring this picture up. It was a at least a two inch um, bump stop uh, extension. Bump stop extension, <laughs> and it that dude underscore Zeus sent me the pictures on the Instagrams of this look at that extension <laughs> wow that's even billet too that's fancy yeah, that's he told fancy. me he i said is it on bump stop at ride height and he said it legitimately had like i'll he said i'll the benefit of the doubt i'll give it a two inch gap at ride height two inch gap at ride height which obviously we, we all know how though. we all know how motion ratio works yeah. so if you're limiting by two inches and like a tacoma that's a, a similar kit to what i'm running and I'm running the same Dura pump with no spacer. And so, like, I hit my outer fender when my bump stops, like, fully co collapse. And, like, I'm almost a spring bind. So I know if they're limiting two inches, that fender well can't be tubbed at all. Two inches, that bump stop is literally, like, on, like maybe three inches out from the pivot point on the frame. So you got to be talking, at, like, at the... At the least amount of up travel limit, you're talking four and a half, maybe five inches. I like on like a conservative number. But you need more up travel, up travel than that to ride quality, have good ride quality. Yeah, what fuck up travel. Up yeah, travel yeah what are you trying to say? <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying that like up travels, up travels underrated. That should be a t-shirt. It's for sure. It's it's for sure on Reddit. And the crazy thing is, people like always want to do the crime, but like they don't want to do the time about it. I have so many people <laughs> on like Instagram that. DMing me, "Hey, I want to do 35s. Get ready to tub." Well, I don't want to do that. 
Don't get 35s then. It's, it's yeah. how it is. You want your. Oh, I didn't get 35s on my last on the truck that I have right now. Is and I got 33s. I don't want to touch shit. It's supposed to be an, how fast can I go without cutting the body is, or frame? It's so absurdly different of a ride quality than not having that inch and a half, and it's it's so absurd. And like people are with the stock geo uh, rear steer. I just had to cut off like probably four and a half inches of my of my wheel well just you know to accommodate for that. And people's like, well, why are you doing that? Well, I want my up travel. I don't want to yeah. put you a, want to actually have it ride on my bump stop. Decent? What was yeah. that? If you want to actually ride decent and perform, like, I don't know. People just want to have cool shit, and they don't want to actually do cool shit. Right. That's crazy. Which, and, like, people <laughs> limiting their up travel does not affect me at all. I'm like, like, I'm like, whatever. I guess if you wanted to ride like shit and not you get. enjoy it. You, you enjoy you thrive it. Sure. off people not doing, like, <laughs> adding longer bump stop spacers. <laughs> I'm like, I've gotten so many people hit me up. They're like, hey, I want to put 37s on my FJ. I'm like, is it a 2010 plus? They're like, no. I'm like, open your fuck. Oh, get a new credit card. With you need to buy a welder. You need to like, buy an angle need, grinder. And they're like, like, I get people like, what do you want? What Quote me to, uh, you know, tub the front of my truck. And I'm like, what year is it? And they're like, I'm like, okay, that's got secondary air injection. That's gonna have to be moved. The battery's gonna have to be moved. The the fuse box is gonna have to be moved. And I sent them a quote for it, and they're like, what? <laughs> and I was like, it's just cutting some sheet metal out. I'm like, there's a lot that goes into. Why don't you do it, bro? The, yeah, you get the tone. Oh, right. Not easy. Just go ahead and do it. And this FJ that I worked on uh, in December, that I don't know if you guys saw it, that black one, uh, Austin. Well, let me not say his full name because he is. Uh, I don't even know if I should say what he does for a living. Uh, FJ Runner on Instagram. <laughs> uh, he's pretty private. I just don't want to blast him out on a podcast. Uh, uh, he had me build. He told me he wanted to go 37s. And I was like, this is what you should do. Um, and he's like, okay, send me a parts list for a 9 inch. And I'm like, you want the exact same one that I did? He's like, yeah, send me a parts list. I'm like, word. So I went back through my receipts of everything that I'd bought. I sent him all of it. I said, parts collect this. And then we once you get it all, we can set up a time to do it. And he hits me up. He's like, hey, I got this uh, F-150 sitting in my backyard. I'm pretty sure it's got a nine inch in it. Will this work? And I'm like, I'm like, because I, I told him I just needed a housing, right? Was We're it aftermarket all for that truck? Because F-150s never came with. Oh, the, no, early models. Early came, models huh? did, right. Well, that was a long time and ago. So I was like, I was like, it because he said I think he said it was a seventy six or something like that. Okay. I was like that should have a nine inch in it. And he said I was like that's a nine inch. I said measure the flange of flange. And I was like that's the axle, literally the axle. Sixty inch want. flange of flange. It's it's like six. The F one fifties were like, I think they were sixty. Yeah, that's what I got. Uh, I'm selling it if anyone wants it. It's fully built. Hell it's yeah. Full float now. So. Uh. So he's like he's like I was like that's actually ideal. That has to like I'm like you couldn't. I was like, yeah, sure, they're like 180 bucks at a junkyard, but that's going to save you some money. So he buys all the parts, and he brings it to me, and I was like, don't drop the FJ off. Bring me all the parts so I can get the axle built and everything like that. I was just copying exactly what I had in my FJ. He wanted it three-linked as well. I told him, I was like, I ain't putting four-link geometry on this thing. If you're doing it, we need to three-link it as well. And he's like, cool. Well, you don't want to do the extra work of moving the tank, and might as well do coilovers and... I that, that would I, I would be a hundred percent down with that, but I'm not I'm not Ask putting how fact, I know. <laughs> I'm not putting a factory four link on a nine inch, right? Uh oh, but he had yeah, got thirty sevens before that. Um 
and he's like, I'm getting 37, so this is why I want to do it all, right? And and he was so easy to deal with. It was so nice. I'm like, this is what you need to buy. And there was never like, this is kind of expensive. He's like, okay. He's like, so he oh, bought yeah. all, all of this like stuff. That's me for... helping Robert with his. So I was like, right? Dude, you want to do it? Like, this is what we got to do. And he's like, yeah. all right, let's do it. I know how much money I spent on parts. And then I obviously know, like, with, like, the cost increase over the last couple of years from when I built mine to what he spent on parts. I'm like, like, holy shit. Like, he's dumb some money into that ruin and then paying my labor on top of that yeah uh, but it was wild because like i was on the eight inch when i did 37s and i knew that was a ticking time bomb but i was like let me see you know how unreliable this rear axle is and then that lasted like four months uh and i think like four wheeling trips really that's right uh, because i really like to bump up stuff so but uh... the an yeah. with an <laughs> I learned AR... real quick that you can't do that. I did like yeah. three ring and pinions in six months, and I was like, "All right, yeah. I got to change my wheeling style because yeah. I can't." And I, I know we afford a nine inch at the time. And I know we've talked about this before. Like when I broke the last eight inch, and I think it's only because Kayla had to drive me my spare third member like two and a half hours. Huh. Uh, when I got home, she's like, "Why don't you just make it so it doesn't do this anymore?" And I'm like, four nine inch." <laughs> <laughs> Hell yeah! Uh, but so it was crazy when I did his because he had done very little if i remember correctly uh and i know he listened to this so he'll probably tell me if i'm wrong uh he didn't do a whole lot of clearancing when he got the 37s he basically got the 37 speed locks put them on and then his plan was to nine inch and three link the rear and then he's doing rclt in the front uh and then Damn. obviously we'll tub on top of what he needs for the rclt because yeah. i told him i was like i ain't we're not putting that on with the factory bump stop and limiting all that um travel yeah, like no. they like to do um i was like that kit that's works how you can well. fit 40s on stock trucks yeah come on dude that's I, just the way it works it's so easy that there's a youtube video on it i can't <laughs> i can't wait no fab work required i can't wait to do that kit and like i know kyle's doing one soon too i can't wait to do that and show like yes marlin's not necessarily wrong I'll be the devil's advocate here you can bolt their kit on completely stock. Stock bump stop location is very trim the fender, right? That's it. Is stock bump block stop God damn it. Stock bump stop location. How much you ever had to drink? Four beers. Yeah. Which they're all like lightweight. I was like me the other day. I was talking like that. And I was like, man, what the fuck is wrong with me? Right. <laughs> Why can't I spit some words out? <laughs> right. So stock bump stock. I can't. I'm gonna kill myself. That's all I was gonna have to be. Stock bump. You can. I will say you can fit big tires. I don't think 40s, but you can fit a 37, 38 probably if you leave the bump stop where it is from Toyota, and use their little itty bitty like three eighths fucking poly puck that they give you. Yeah, sure, you can do that. But it also like. All of us know this. Anyone else, Google, for instance, total chaos, three-inch long travel kit. And then look at how the angle of the lower control arm is and where the coilover bolt is. And then Google then Google RCLT and see where that is. There is a significant difference in mounting height of the... Maybe you have to do that on that kit because maybe you might block out the coilover, like bump out the coilover. 
I and I, I, I think you do. I think because... It's designed to be limited up travel because it's for rock right. crawling, which yeah. for a lot of rock crawlers, they don't have a lot of up travel. So I get it. Like It's not right. designed to be desert racer. So, and that's where I'm saying I don't, think, I don't think they're necessarily wrong in what they're saying of that the RCLT kit can fit big tires with just bolting the kit on. I don't necessarily think that's an incorrect statement. I think when us kind of people start breaking what are you calling uh, us kind of people are you labeling me you i am labeling you i'm labeling both of you uh when us us kind of people yeah when we realize that if we pull like 14 inches out of a long travel kit in the front that that's impressive or like so it's like if you put all this money into a kit and you're getting 12 inches of travel out of a three inch three and a half inch kit which you should be able to get 16 17 inches of the travel out of that much? I think, I oh, think if, kit? no. I think on a like three 14, and a half, 15. I think yeah, on 14, that, 15. That'd be it, that'd be pretty nice. Fifteen inches of a three and a half kit. I mean, unless you're like really doing some stuff up like up travel wise, right? I don't, I don't I, know if you're really gonna. Get I more think than if you really cut the shit out of it, and like all of us would, right? Like if all if all if any three of us looked at that kit and like you know you can pull seventeen inches of travel out, which I'll agree is a is a saucy number to go off of too saucy but (laughs) bear with me steven if you look at that kit and you're saying i can get 17 inches of travel out of this kit minus three if (laughs) (laughs) but if you could you would cut everything in your way until you got that amount of travel right so you would you would cut until you got bind rcvs don't have as much travel as factory cvs if you modify them um and so, like, on my two-and-a-half-inch kit, it's, like, 13 and That's on the Toyota inches. CVs that they build? Yeah. And it's, like, but you only get, on, like, a Toyota, when a factory tie rod on a factory inner, you can only get, like, 12 inches out of, on a two-inch kit. You can get, like, 13 inches out of on a three-inch three kit. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I think, I don't think you're wrong on their kit with the RCVs. I think 15 inches is generous. Uh, if you run their kit with some sort of you can anyone will make you that inner shaft you don't have to run rcvs so you Mm -hmm. can run a factory toyota cv um with a properly machined inner and then their vertical uniballs vertical is that right yeah Mm -hmm. vertical uniballs everyone argues over it it's like oh it's the way the bolt runs it's a horizontal but yeah i know what you're saying yeah okay so and then if you run either a heim or a you know bigger ball joint on the tie rods you, I think you could get, I, I think you could get 15 inches out of that kit, no problem in that sense. Um, on a three-inch kit, I just don't think you're gonna get more than 15 on a three and a half-inch kit, just based off the CV, even if it is machined. And I think on an RCV, like, I'd be surprised if you get 13 inches out of it on a three and a half-inch kit, just because. But see, you're saying all the potentials of like what you can do, but the fact of the matter is that not a lot of people want to. They they're not actually about it trying to to machine their cups and down that's more. that's what I'm saying like no one it what they're marketing towards is they use an RCV so you're kind of you can use that as your scapegoat for limiting travel right sure. and then they're using the factory bump location and then like yes this LT kit is very good but then you're not pulling a ton of travel out of it and like width to me means less 
if I could run a stock width kit at 17 inches of travel, I would. For rock because, Fuck yeah. 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 I'm like, fuck it. Like, I don't need this width, right? My shit's 84 inches wide with a two and a half inch kit on. I can't imagine what it is with a three and a half or a four inch kit on it, right? right. Yeah. So that's why everyone likes width, right? Because you're getting uh, travel, better angles, travel, blah, blah. better angles, yeah. all that. So it's like. And that's another thing, too, like you and Tuan talked about was like people like us, you know, us people. Us people. <laughs> uh, we'll go, we'll spend an extra few hours to get 10% better. You know, yeah. we'll, we'll put in extra 80% more work just to get a little bit more, at, you know, quality of what we're doing. So that's the difference where some people are like, you know what? And when I first started too, like, I didn't know what the fuck I was doing. I didn't realize that putting in that extra full day's worth of work just to get marginally better ride quality. I didn't realize that it was that big of a deal. But once you start pushing your limits more and more and more, you realize, oh shit, well, I'm driving this hard at this you know pace all the time 10 percent makes actually a big difference and i'm willing you know how many hours a month on average well i'll put in an extra weekend's worth of work just to get a little bit more wheeling time oh, or get up this yeah, obstacle for so sure it is different that a lot of people that are listening to you'll get to that point eventually if you keep trying you know you keep trying to push your limits and don't be scared to push your limits either because if you don't push your limits then what might as well not even fucking it? do it yeah <laughs> yeah no for sure and that's kind of how I feel with like tubbing. Like we've all tubbed something, right? So like, and like, I don't know if I've talked about this on the podcast. Me spill uh, your beans. Being a little bit, uh, uh, maybe on the spectrum. Uh, <laughs> so I I explained this to Kyle, and he was so upset. So when I tub the front of my FJ, I went through the whole process like everyone else does, right? I took the coilover out, and then I put the wheel on and i started cycling everything right mm. and i was like because of where my fuse box was and how far i could move it i wanted a tub as little as i could right and i was like I, but i i wanted to clear like now in the future i probably will go to 40s but until i tub again i'm not going to go to 40s but all crazy um so I tub everything, cut everything out on the passenger side, get that done. That was the first side. That was the easier side to do. I'm like, okay, now I just need to copy this on the driver's side, pull the coilover out, do the same thing, make sure I'm not missing anything. Great. Tub works out good. Wheel it. Everything's tits. Then the first time I changed the CV, I realized the whole process, I left my wheel spacers on. So where I wanted to take, I had thought I had taken both my wheel spacers <laughs> off. So now my truck is tubbed for a two and a half inch kit with wheel space with inch and a quarter wheel spacers on it. And I now I get what you mean when you're on the yep. spectrum. Yes. <laughs> so I did all of that work and I left my wheel spacers on, which I don't need because then it would match the rear axle perfectly. I wouldn't need like, so like my front end's wider than the rear axle because of the wheel spacers. And I was like, literally I did all, I did probably 20 hours plus worth of work with the wheel spacers on when I should have just, I forgot neglected to take so them now off. you're almost forced yourself to keep the wheel spacers yeah literally like the tub doesn't clear with like i've tried it it like it hits in a few spots where i could probably get away with it and just cut those spots out and put little plates in or whatever but just go I'm the like old a, school method and just hammer away the <laughs> problem is i use fucking eighth inch everywhere so <laughs> yeah. yeah oh my Three god sheet metal <laughs> to, to, to back together. i literally had to borrow a roller from a buddy to do the fender arch because i couldn't get it to bend right so i like had to oh roll my god this eighth yeah, you inch. don't need that like yeah, 14 when, gauge is when, plenty. 
when me and Kyle tubbed, along with taking out the space, we also took out the bump stops as well. Yeah, my bump stops were out. Gotcha. Like, I, I did do that. Yeah, mm-hmm. I forgot to mention that. But yeah, I was like, it, until your core support starts falling on where your tires, it was yeah. Tubbed. Until your core supports start crumbling, that's my problem right now. Both my of my one. inner fenders are torn, and I literally keep forgetting about it. And I'll scroll back through Instagram to find something, and I made a post about it, and I'll see it. I'm like, shit, I really didn't want to see that. <laughs> so Because I know I have to pull both outer fenders off, gusset it, weld up the seams, and then fishblade it or something stupid. Yeah, yeah. That's no, if, if right anyone now. who's listening is tubbing, take out the spacers, take out the bump stops, bolt. Yep. And cut, and cut a little extra. Cut a little deflection. extra for deflection. Yep. yep. Yep, you need it. And I sure. did, I cycled my cams and everything to make sure to have plenty of clearance and everything, and I'm like, when I saw those wheel spacers on there, I was so mad. <laughs> I was like, "It's easy to forget, especially because like when you're taking off the wheel on and off, you know, yeah, five sure. times it's something you don't think about, especially with the bump stops. I get a lot of people asking, you know, about that, like how to how to go around tubbing. And when I say you know pull your your bump stop as well, there are, everyone's like amazed about that. I feel like that's a pretty good chunk of information to you know to not rub. Yeah, they don't realize like an stop. eighth of an inch or quarter inch of bump stop deflection ends up being like a full inch yeah. at your wheel. Yes, it's a lot. And, you, and like you explain it, like that's the other funny thing, like explaining motion ratio to people. I was like, oh yeah, I've on my style of truck, it's a little bit easier Whatever if you're said. right. It's like I was like, you only have to, if you want an inch of ride height, you only need like three eighths to a half inch at the coilover, and they're like, that doesn't make any sense. I'm like. Just a fucking head scratcher. It's like yeah. I can't. I can't explain that all through an Instagram message. So right, just Google sure. it. Yeah. No, it's that. Yeah, it, that's a whole fucking thing. Right. So, what's your plan on your uh, four link, Chad? Are you gonna have Kyle help you out with that? Yeah, so I'm gonna have Kyle Kyle help me out with that. I'd rather get all my stuff situated before we start getting into geo and what I want to do for gas tank because we don't really know what I want to do for a gas tank yet. I just commit to... to a fuel cell. Just commit yes. to a fuel cell. I'm telling See, you now, is... I've been there. I've helped others do it too. Just commit to a fuel cell. And that's 32 gallons. Just do or a 32 gallon fuel cell. INFJ because the fuel tank is above the nope. frame everywhere. Um, and you don't have to deal with all it. You just have to three link it, which. And and that's my deal. Kyle, Kyle's like, if if you want to do a four link, you got to put that cell inside. And that, that's something I don't really want to do. Cut the floor out. I guess I'm willing, but. It's something I'd prefer not to do, and so that's kind of my, my big deciding factor. So, so I'm, I'm with Kyle inside. there. I, Was that? Yeah. I'm with Kyle there. Just fuel sell it for sure, and just cut and the floor my, out, sink it down below. You could seal it off. Yeah. Oh, only issue is little, I would bit, prefer to not trailer this everywhere I go. I'd prefer to drive it, and that's kind of one of my more determining factors. How much do you care A about your rear seat? fuel cell? That means you get to drive further without fuel stops. That is true. How much do you care about your rear seats? Uh, I'd prefer to have one seat. Yeah, so... So right between is... the triangles of the upper link, you stick a seat, or upper links, that's where you stick your seat. My so thought you get all is, the up travel. eventually, like, inevitably, my hmm. FJ is going to have, it's going to be fuel cell. Like, there's no way to get around it, right? Yeah. You're going to do it at some point. And Everyone then... I talk to that ends up do going this route eventually and don't cheap out on some like it was an rci or some shit like at least get a jazz fuel cell yeah like, it's something like sure. a minimum quality like that has a bladder and shit right yeah and no, and no, and fuel I, safe i'm the type of person where i want to do stuff once so i'd rather just do it the right way and so there's still a lot of things i need to figure out you know i still need to get my 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 ford axle fully finished before you know i start getting 
to think about that. So um, that's kind of where I'm at now. We haven't really thought too much about what we want to do. We just have a plan of what we want to achieve. And be willing just to push because, the axle back. What was that? Push the axle back too. Yeah. It, it's worth it. Just because Kyle talks shit to me, I'm going to talk shit about him. Um, I Fuck Kyle. I didn't one. say it on the last episode. <laughs> I forgot after we ended the episode, I didn't say fuck Kyle. God damn it. Kyle, fuck Dad, Kyle. I love you, man. I love you, Dad. Fuck you, Chad, and fuck <laughs> Kyle. Uh, so with nine inch stuff, I Ooh. uh we all all three of us, us people, love a nine inch, let's be honest. Um I've done so much research on it because I was like, I'm not gonna go on and just buy some fucking built axle, right? Like I was like, Yeah, you can go buy what Kyle did and spend fucking nine hundred thousand dollars on uh, your axle yeah, I, that's my next purchase and i'm not happy right. about it and you can <laughs> build there's my wife <laughs> right you can build a nine inch that's 85 percent as strong or maybe more 90 percent as strong as Close. what kyle's is um yeah. for significantly cheaper well, it depends what you're doing rock crawling's not too bad on an axle right and it's like for like what steven's doing desert stuff you want a ton of fluid capacity and then oh, you want you want hubs that are strong and, and you axle exactly. housing. You want strong. super strong hubs you and then float. you need that thick axle housing and then Ooh, inevitably you're going to be full f- thick, thick axle housing. Thick. 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 <laughs> axle housing. Like thick. Uh, you can, for what we're doing, especially with the weight of your rig, a factory housing with a backbone on it is plenty strong. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then full float. The a big benefit to full float on the 9-inch is you don't deal with bending axle shafts. Um, and but 35 spline helps a lot with that. If you go 35 yeah. spline axle shaft in a factory housing with a backbone truss on it, and then I figured this out when I did FJ Runner's axle, um, the I think it's 78 and prior housings are 316 wall. Um, oh, really? And they're big bearing in oh, the F-150 okay. only. Yeah, that's what I got. So perfect. Mine happens to, uh, I can't remember what the wall thickness is it's weird it's like 156 there's, there's like three styles like the small bearing the big bearing and something else i forget yeah there's well, two big bearings specific. i think there's, there's two an early big model bearings. And later yep model. and then uh both of the big bearings have two different wall thicknesses so mm. there's certain years you can find that but like i've done before i did my nine inch i did hours of research and i even have a book in the cabinet over there that they call like the nine inch bible and it's like it's probably like 200 pages and it's just information on the nine inch so when you're wanting to do nine inch stuff hit me up because unlike kyle i did research i didn't just go on a spider tracks website and type in yeah five i was on the phone thing. with him when he was doing that <laughs> did a bunch yeah. of people like, should, should i do 40 spline i'm like fuck yeah you should do 40 spline yeah, he's like i'm right, buying 40 spline <laughs> was kyle, awesome. kyle was, was like, like man what? i'm living vicariously through you because i'm broke as fuck at the time <laughs> kyle just googled what's the most expensive nine inch i can buy and then did that and you yeah. can build. That would be tube works. That's true. Tube works. Don't, is don't the shit. fucking give him any credit here. <laughs> you you can you're build an axle. Sell us the last. You're gonna give him a big fucking head. Right. He's gonna go buy a tube works housing now. Yeah. You <laughs> can buy an axle that's at least ninety percent, ninety five percent as strong. Uh, the big thing that you're losing is the uh, forty spline and the which. Again, uh, it really depends what you're doing too. A lot of you have guys, you have different loads when you're rock crawling. Like, you're not gonna like semi float isn't as big of a deal. Like, sure, right. 
it helps having full float, but when you're going fast in the desert, like you cannot have semi float if you are really pushing your paces and having big tires like 37s or higher. Right. So, yeah. you know, even start... 37s are limited to like two and a half inch axle snouts, and those are already yep. big as fuck. <laughs> and uh, if you've ever heard of the 4800 class and Ultra 4, um, most of those guys are lower budget and they're running mm-hmm. obviously nine inches front and rear. Uh, and most of those guys are running a 35 spine axle. Mind mm-hmm. you, it's on a full float setup because, like Steven says, full float is very critical for desert stuff. And when Steven says desert stuff, he's not talking about like mobbing through your local dunes at 35 miles an hour. He's talking about like 80 mob- miles an hour or more. 80 through. miles an hour through like three foot whoops uh, yeah. is when that stuff becomes really critical. Uh, for the 35 spine, the actual strength of the axle, like, good fucking luck breaking it. Like, when I, every time I pull my axle shafts out, I, like, look at the splines, and they're still, like, perfectly straight. And then, like, my Toyota axles, whatever, they're 29 spine, like, you could see, like, a... <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> so. For sure. And so, yeah, no, I ended up running a 35 spine as well, and nice. I only did that specifically just, I feel like the Thurgeons aren't as heavy, and I felt like I didn't need any more. And you're going, yep. well, you're going semi-float, right? You're going yeah. with a, a stock housing that you're... Correct. Uh, junkyard housing. So you, yep. I mean, sure, you can technically go 40 spline, but you really shouldn't because your bearing yep. Yep. diameters are fucked up. But yeah, 35 spline on, on a junkyard axle is like, that's the tits, man. Like, that's if what you... I built. And I was expecting to go that route until I decided I'm going to just do stupid shit and spend too much money to build a race car. For sure. I'll, I'll tell you what, Chad. Within the first year of you getting a 9-inch, if you break a 35 spline axle shaft semi-float i'll buy you a new one i might i might just have to put you to that yeah you're gonna need to put a turbo on that one uz yes you will yeah that's how i you do it. i can tell you chad i've bumped shit and like not even in moab like a couple spots in washington where i've like like i'm like backed up like 18 inches two feet and full throttle and obviously one grs make a significant more horsepower than five vz's oh yeah uh, so i hit it wide open and I like catch the edge and then like my autism kicks in and I lift and then I'm like, Oh shit, I'm not going to make it. So like halfway up, get the bump, I it. get back in it and then it slides down and binds up and shuts the motor off on an oh, auto. Yeah. So if, and like my axle, my spines won't even twist. So if I haven't twisted it, an axle shaft, I have a hard time believing you're ever going to break a 35 spine. Yeah, I'll, I'll hold you to that. I'm pretty good at breaking stuff. So fucking, I'll, I'll fucking you hold your ass to that. Let's see if you break a, a- the ring and pinion or an axle shaft first. Yeah. That's hey, right. Oh. Good luck. If I build if I build your uh third member, if you have me build your third member, you're not gonna break it either. All right. All right. We'll put you to I it. might have to have you build mine and I'm gonna challenge accept that bit. Yeah, here. for sure. I have a little bit more uh capability of breaking your shit. Yeah, <laughs> send it up here. I'll build everyone's. There you go. I All only right. I'm going to try only, now. I will yeah. Is there a warranty? That's what yeah, I need you're only making You're only making us want to do it more. <laughs> yeah. Uh, is there a warranty? Warranty. Labor is free. Okay. We'll, okay, we'll work on we'll, get down if, with that. If a part fails because of labor, which any of us can tell if a part fails because of install. Obviously, if you're out there, Steven, on, with a 400 horsepower LS and you're like bouncing it 94 times on an obstacle and you like break a ring and pinion, you're, yeah, fuck you. Uh, <laughs> if yeah. like ring gear bolts back out and it chews something up, yeah, I'll take credit for that. I just want to send you the video then. Yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> I, don't, I don't think I want to do this all of a sudden. Yeah, <laughs> sounds inconvenient. Yeah. No hell yeah, I'll 
I nine inches, they're so easy, man. Like the I regeared a, a eight point two and then a clamshell front end last weekend. Miserable. Like the eight point two. I heard the clamshell suck balls. Yeah, the clamshell suck balls. Don't get me wrong. They're just time consuming. They don't. It's not like it's not that hard. It's just like you literally have to like take it all apart, guess, put it all back together, and then run a pattern. And then like you have to like changing backlash. You have to knock fucking races out. Like it's it's just a pain in the ass. Yeah. And then put it back together I'll again. Pay someone for. I got right. things to do. And then but. 8.2 rears, for whatever reason, Toyota's like, let's put the shim stack behind the race instead of behind the bearing on the pinion. Uh, so every time you change the pinion depth on the 8.2, you have to knock the race back out, put different shims in, knock the race back in at that point, versus just pressing the bearing on and mm-hmm. off the pinion. Those fuckers. Yeah. And then a 9-inch, or like, if you want to change pinion depth, you undo five bolts, you take the cartridge out, you put different right. shims Add on there, shims. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Bolt-on shims. And then a nine inch is like, okay, you're all done now. Set your carry bearing preload. And then if like you run like a three and a quarter inch bearing on the, they're like, yeah, just tighten it as hard as you can, and then <laughs> right, you're good. Makes it easy. Yeah, so nine inches is so easy to set up. So on your nine inches that you build, what is your uh, your formula? What carry or a case and all that stuff? So then you're running the uh, the load bolt. Load bolt, yeah. Yeah. So. My, because of what I do for a living, um, the strange, uh, I can't remember, I always fuck up the name. Strange Engineering makes most people's cases, um, and every other manufacturer will tell you that that is wrong. But if you look at a Strange Engineering case, who's the biggest manufacturer for 9-inch components in the U.S., if you look at everyone else's cases, Yukons, Nitros, everyone's, it magically looks exactly the same as Strange's. Strange puts a serial the number. nodular case? Is yeah, the nodular used? cases, yep. I use their HD nodular case with a three and a quarter inch bearing. Um, that's basically the, the biggest not bearing. The, not the Pro? I'm looking at the website right now. I think it, I can't remember. I think it it's might the be the S Pro series HD. and the Pro. Yeah, so it's the Pro series. Okay. Um, and the reason I use it, the Pro series is significantly heavier, which just means there's more material there. Um, yeah. And like, obviously in an off-road application, weight, is kind of secondary to strength, especially in an axle application. Yeah. Uh, so like the street series case still holds a ton of horsepower, but it's not as good as for deflection as that pro HD cases or pro case, whatever you want to call it. Mm-hmm. The only downside of that case is it's not drilled and tapped for the load bolt. But if you do your research on the nine inch, everyone that's ever put a load bolt in a carrier uses a factory fill plug. Mm. So you okay. just have to go in and you have to re-drill and re-tap the uh, case for um, the thread size of the load bolt. Uh, what, what bolt are you using? Are you using like a 5 eighths bolt or? I'd have to look. Um, it's like coarse it's, thread or fine thread. It's three quarter and it is coarse thread. Um, I think the next one I do, I'll probably go to fine thread just because adjustment is easier. Mm. Uh, and I can go into, I'll go into load bolt in a second here because there's some big misconceptions which with the load bolt uh the bigger the bearing size the less deflection you have in the bearing a three and a quarter inch bearing is the same size uh bearing as like a 14 bolt is from the factory uh so all these guys that are running 14 factory 14 bolts and like bouncers and shit are running a three and a quarter inch bearing yeah um three and a quarter is plenty strong uh 
Strange is the only one that offers a chromoly bearing cap. Uh, so both your uh, carry bearing caps are actually chromoly instead of nodular, like most other cases are. And then uh, your opposite side adjuster, so the opposite side of the ring gear is chromoly. And then the only downside if you run an ARB is you're running a non-chromoly side adjuster. But um, the ARB side adjusters, the tolerance seems to be more than good enough on them uh, to where chromoly is probably not necessary. Uh, which is why I really like the load bolt. And for those that don't know what a load bolt is, it's very common in drag applications because if you look, every high horsepower drag car ever is either running a Ford 8.8 or a Ford 9-inch. Mm-hmm. Um, guys that like the 9-inch love it because it's a third member and you can change gear ratios on the fly. And like it's not can, C-clip. And, it, and it's not C-clip. Yeah. Um, so that's like, in my opinion, why the nine inch is so good. Uh, and then those guys will run some gnarly setup where like the gear doesn't even pattern uh, when you like run it uh, like by hand because it gets so much deflection. So that's when they started uh, to develop the load bolt. Uh, and drag guys that are running, you know, 3000 horsepower on like a 33 inch by 16 inch slick or something retarded. Uh, and launching it, you know, you know, 4,500 RPMs on like 15 pounds of boost. It's a lot of deflection. There's so much deflection and so much shock that happens because most of those guys are running on a trans brake. And so they're not loading the ring and pinion up before they leave anyway. Uh, so that's where the load bolts came into effect. So drag guys will actually run the load bolt until it touches the back of the ring gear and set it there. Because as the pass goes on, they're deflecting into that load bolt and running it down the drag strip. And they'll run you know, five or six passes or whatever. And they literally break the load bolt loose, run it until it touches the back of the ring gear again and lock it back down because they're mm-hmm. literally, they're, they're doing it pass by pass, right? When I set them up, especially with the load bolt, it's, I use the load bolt as like a secondary, right? Like, no offense, Chad, your 5VZ and your 1UZ ain't making even a thousand horsepower. Fuck uh, <laughs> and the the chances of you getting a ton of deflection in those three and a quarter inch bearings. It will happen. You're going to get deflection in those, but it's not going to be uh, nearly as much as what those guys are seeing. So you yeah. set like a really good pattern, a little bit on the deep side, uh, uh, on the drive side of the gear. And then I like to see like less than a thou run out on the back side of the ring gear. And then whatever's the highest point of that, I will set the load bolt about three thou off of that. So you have to, really deflect the ring gear before it contacts the load bolt. Mm-hmm. Um, the benefit of that is, is like as shit's changing, going down the road with temperatures and everything, you're never going to start rubbing against that load bolt and causing drag or heat um, that you necessarily Have don't you want. noticed on yours, every time when you've pulled your third, uh, have you noticed that there's marks on your load bolt? 100%. Hitting? Yep. Yeah. I've hit mm-hmm. it. I don't know how many times. Um, the last time, or the first time we pulled it apart, we actually checked it to see. Um, and it was set four thou off the back of the ring gear. And it only moved in like five and a half thou or something like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it probably wore. And I can't imagine it taking much because that ring gear is so hard, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, before it takes the bolt before it takes the ring gear. Yeah, it's definitely taking material off the load bolt. And you can actually see on the load bolt that it's definitely contacting. Yeah. But like my thing is it's like an insurance thing, right? Like you don't drive your car without insurance. At least most people don't. So it's like, 
you put all this money into the rear end of your truck, if you really load it up and then it deflects three or 4,000 contacts at load bolt, you're never going to hear it. You're never going to know. Sure, it might put a little bit more shavings into the oil, but if you're running any sort of magnet in the bottom, they're going to catch that immediately anyway. Yeah. Um, and like mine, every time I've taken mine apart, like I clean the load bolt up, take the burrs off of it. And then I actually uh, paint mark the front of the load bolt just to see um, if it's making contact, if the paint mark is gone. And usually if the paint mark is gone, I'm like, yeah, I had to have made uh, contact at some point. I will say with that ARB comp locker I'm running, I have yet to contact the um, load bolt uh, with that locker in there. So I don't know if that locker just helps with the extra deflection or what, but that case on the comp locker... What made locker, you switch lockers? Did I not tell you all of this that happened? No. So We haven't, we haven't talked in a while on the like long-term like, actual conversation. So basically what me. happened was... Um, for whatever reason, I don't know what this is, um, ARB sends uh, their single high output compressors with a 70 to 90 PSI uh, pressure switch. Mm -hmm. ARB says on their website that uh, ARB lockers only require 70 PSI minimum to engage the locker. Right? So everything seems hunky-dory. Um, when I started looking up more of um, what they had to say, ARB puts a 120 to 150 PSI pressure switch in the dual compressor. I don't know what the reasoning is or why they do that. Um, so on the uh, on my locker, I'm assuming it had to have just been like luck of the draw, right? So on the the non-competition locker, we were in Brown's camp and like it was super bound up. And then like I was kind of on throttle, it popped really loud. And like, I thought I broke a drive line or something. And then the compressor kicked on. I was like, oh, it just disengaged. Well, from after talking to a few guys that, um, and like I even talked to, actually talked, the person that had the most information about it was actually Shannon Campbell. And it's because he helped ARB design the RD99CE, which is their competition uh, locker. So, you right? What do you see? Autism kicking in. Yeah. <laughs> I am. Uh, so. When, I think it, I, I think on that setup, it was just luck of the draw, because after talking to Shannon, he said that the bigger the locker is, the more PSI it takes to keep it fully engaged. Mm -hmm. So an ARB will lock at 70 PSI, and 95% of them will not have any issues that way, because your compressor is probably going to kick on fast enough and everything. I just think that I didn't necessarily... I think when they think you're spending that much money on lockers and stuff like that, that you're probably going to be running a dual or a CO2 setup where you're running the maximum PSI. And then I had never paid attention. And then running that 70 PSI locker, he said at 70 PSI, you're not getting full engagement because you're pushing against that wave spring, right? So your air is pushing against it as a spring and your wave spring is pushing back against the collar as a spring. So that 70 PSI doesn't, it means the locker is engaged, but it doesn't necessarily mean it's fully engaged. At yeah. least from the information that I've gathered. Um, 
so I had stripped a locking ring. Um, and what I will say, this all happened on like a weekend uh, or over Christmas is when I noticed it. Cause I didn't notice it right away at Brown's camp. I noticed it several weeks later that my lock rear locker was popping. Um, and I was like, that's weird. So I started looking into it and I was like, you know what, if I'm going to go in there, I'm going to change everything. I'm just going to use the comp locker, even though it's like double the cost or whatever. Uh, I really was like this close to just fooling it. Um, but I, I, at the time I was driving it so much on the street, I was like, I really, really like the selectable aspect of it. And after talking to Campbell, he's like, literally, like if you break a competition locker, like good luck, like, because they're all chromoly, the spider gears are different. They're also like the, the locker is so much different, even though it looks the same and kind of fits the same. Um, and he even said like the oiling is better for the spider gears and the centering pins, everything is better. Um, and I was like, it makes sense. It's like twice the cost. Uh, hmm. So I had ordered the comp locker, took mine apart, and it actually wasn't. I probably could have got away with just replacing the locking collar um, because I'm assuming they do it that way on purpose where they make the locking collar the softest material. So like if you run in a situation, it doesn't strip either side of the carrier. It strips the locking yeah. collar. Um and I hit ARB up about it and like explained to them what was going on. I was like, this has been a year. This is me. This is what I do. Like all this stuff. And they're like, okay, what parts do you need? And I'm like, this is what looks that it's has an issue. And they're like, okay. And they, I was like, and then an hour and a half later, I got a tracking number from them. Uh, and they sent me all of the parts to rebuild my other one. Nice. Um, but I had already bought the comp locker. So I just put that in and then rebuilt the other one. I just have another one sitting here uh, of the factory version and then i swapped the pressure switch out to 120 to 150 psi pressure switch um and arb says on their website um for i might misquote this so if you want to really know look it up i believe it says for faster uh engagement and disengagement and stronger locking to use a 120 to 150 psi pressure switch Mm. um why the singles come with that i don't know if they were just coming that for a while because i actually posted it on my story and a bunch of people reach out to me like my lock my compressor has a hundred and uh 20 to 150 psi pressure switch on it yeah see uh, when i talked to you about that mine was the 70 to 90 right and some people did have 70 to 90 and needs, i don't but and i don't know where arb gets pressure switches and stuff from this could just be you know like if as I work for a manufacturing facility, like, you know, there's tolerance on everything, right? So if ARB, I, I don't know who's making their compressors, right? Or if they're making them in-house, I don't know how that works. I don't know where they're ordering s- switches from or whatever. But if they say you need a 70 to 150 PSI pressure switch, anything in that zone works, right? Mm-hmm. So it's like it, maybe they should change that. I don't know. I think it's just uh, most people that are probably running four nine inch 35 spline lockers are probably not running a single necessarily if that makes sense yeah makes sense but and then that's why i switched to the comp locker because i was like i shouldn't have broke this one and then after i had bought everything then it's everything started to falling into place i was like i probably wouldn't have broke that if it didn't it re-engage while i was um bound up mm-hmm. and that's why i think the 150 psi pressure switch is better because even if it if the ARB will lock at 70 PSI, like they say, um, which I'm assuming it does, uh, if a hundred, 
if they if it locks at 70 if i get to 120 psi my locker kicks back on i got a 50 psi cushion still of the locker right engaged, yeah right? it doesn't start sliding out a little bit because it's... right right Yep. Do a final a regroup. We haven't done a regroup in Yeah. No one knows where year. your truck's at besides on your lift in your backyard. <laughs> yeah. I chopped it up and just waiting for parts and Whatever. tools and stuff. Whenever it runs, it'll be uh it'll be cool. For sure. You might longer. be in a retirement home by then, but at least your kid can The longer it, it takes, <laughs> yeah. the more my budget increases. And that's kind of the, the name of the game that I've gotten so far is it's not fun. <laughs> Budget's no, overrated. No. Oh, yeah. You're no, big like... anti-debt guy. I think you should just go into debt on it. <laughs> nope. 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 Just Chad, bust out big you... credit cards. That's what see Chad knows what's up. Just start busting them <laughs> busting them out. No, right? I'm gonna be responsible. You know, I'm almost thirty years old. I gotta be responsible, man. Hey, I'm, are no, you... I'm with you I'm with you too, Steven. I'm I'm not much of a debt guy. Yeah. Both no of debt. uh both of you i got a house um, that's all i got and the credit card that i use like and i pay it off every two weeks but that's about it steven are you flying up for brown's camp this year since you don't want to tow squeaky taco up here if he pays for gas i'll tow it so regardless it's a dollar a mile based on my calculations dollar a mile it's uh it's so shitty that eight (laughs) eight or eight point eight eight point one vortex damn it's a big motor it's just, it's like yeah. me and beer. It's just, <laughs> ah, there you go. Regardless, Chad, if you don't want to make the like 13 hour drive, you should do what Steven did fly into PDX and I can pick you up. I didn't even and get I, the invite. You know, you know, I'm bringing my, my truck over oh. there. You know that. All right. All right. All right. All right. When's, when's Brown's cramp next? I'm not giving the dates out to all 14 people that listen to this. What month? September. Okay. I, it's my birthday month. I can do whatever the fuck I want. <laughs> Tell Mariah she doesn't get a choice. She can handle it's my that. birthday month. I whatever I say goes. Whatever She's I gonna, say goes. Gonna rage. Gonna drop acid. Hang out. With <laughs> I will drink beer. I don't know about the acid thing. I'm yeah, same. Hard <laughs> on that. Yeah, it's, it's from from a movie. Have you seen Walk Hard? No. Can't no. say I have. Ah, uh, that's my favorite movie. You guys got. I don't even watch. I don't even watch TV much, and that's my favorite movie. We're both 20 years younger than you. What do you want? <laughs> yeah. 20 years? I'm only like two years older than you, Trevor. If you're 29, <laughs> that makes me nine. Wait, that's not how math, no, that's how math works. <laughs> Bunch of younglings. Yeah, but it's from a movie. And he basically is like, hey, babe, can I please go drop acid with the Beatles? <laughs> that's where it was. So every time I'm always begging her, like, can I go do stuff? I'm like, babe, can I please go drop acid with the Beatles? So, is that are we gonna get copyrighted for that quote? Uh, I didn't probably say it right, so it probably won't. Be yeah, no, we're we'll fine. <laughs> It'll be fine. I can't tell if Chad's thirty-four and has like he's got a sweet mustache. Well, it's like, are you allowed to go near schools? Or are you just like? <laughs> I'm, <not allowed. laughs> yeah, I'm a young man. I'm only twenty-three. Oh, look at you, young boys around here. At least we're not Kyle at like 44 or whatever. Yeah, he is. seriously. I, I got Grandpa Kyle I got to worry about these days. He's it's actually a month younger. On him with I was going to say, Kyle. I think Kyle's younger than Steven. Yeah, he's a month younger <laughs> yeah. than I am. Or no, two months younger. He's in November. Yeah, I got to check up on himself every here and there. Okay, hear me out. Everyone listening to this podcast right now, if you stayed around for those last two hours <laughs> of shit show that started off really, really good. 
Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then so we just, started hearing about your locker stuff, and that was uh, it. Just by everyone so. stopped listening by then, anyway. Uh, if you go to Instagram and type in Tacoma underscore Goss, so T A C O M A underscore G O S S, and message him and say how old are you? Because he refuses to tell anyone how old he is. Is he old or is he young? No one knows if he's 19 or 76. I do. How old is he? DM him. You just said that. There's got to be a way to find out. Public records. Either one of you have anything else interesting to add to this shit show? No, I'll probably save anything that I got for next episode. All right. Hopefully, hopefully next time we can have... uh, Kyle, me, and Steven on here and kind of do a recap of everything that's been going on with all of us. So that will probably be a shit show, drunk, long episode. Drunk for sure. Um, If anyone has any criticisms criticisms to the show... Message Tyler or Trevor. Uh, Why message, do I always call you Tyler when I'm yeah. fucking drinking? <laughs> message Chad if you have any criticisms to the show. Yeah, I don't give a fuck. Um, I'll relate to the big hoss. If you have anything nice to say, message me. Or Steven. Um, if you need just message some... Trevor. Well, okay. Steven. I'm here for the party. Steven's too busy for us now. He's a mortgage broker or whatever his job title is now. I'm He's a corporate a... man now. I'm big white time collar. in us. White collar. Probably forgot how to weld. <laughs> yeah, I haven't welded in a while. Didn't you just weld on Robert's truck? That was a while ago. Was it? Well, I think I finished in April. God damn. You, you you know what? You're I'm gonna talk to Kyle. We might vote you off this thing. <laughs> kick you off kick, kick you out of the island. <laughs> you're voted <laughs> off the island, Stephen. <laughs> you're too white collar for us now. You haven't really wheeled in like six years. That is facts. That yeah. is really true. I mean my I think I talked about my uh, Rubicon trip, but if not, then we should probably talk about it because that was a shit show. It's you know too what? fun to talk shit to the people who ha- like are building something sweet but haven't gone in a while because it's such like a soft spot. Like, dude, you don't even fucking wheel, right? right? That's why I bought another forerunner because I gotta, <laughs> I gotta do something, and that was a whole fucking project too. I don't know I if you freaking, guys listen. I think I broke to... another uh, uh, flex plate. I don't know nice. why it keeps breaking. I don't know if you guys listen to other uh, thrust bearings and the engine are going out. That breaks flex plates, by the way. Uh, Grab onto your crank pulley. If you move your crank pulley back and forth, it's probably fucking up your thrust or your flex plate. Or it could be bad transmission bearings. Yes, also that. If you have thrust on either side of the flex plate, obviously. Oh, I should just sell it. I, I had a, a 22RE build I did at one point, and the thrust bearing got so worn at some at certain angles, like at releasing the clutch at certain times, it would just kill the engine. It would just seize. <laughs> wow. I like uh-huh. that. So you got to uh, pull your crank pulley? That's what you do? It's, yeah, back and forth. You have like remember like there's a lot of load that goes on inside of there, so it may be more than just pulling on it by hand. But like most of the time, if you can like get to your uh, crank pulley like with decent access, I don't know if you could feel it without like a breaker bar or a cro- or a pry bar with like a radiator and stuff in. Mm-hmm. Even if it you put an needs. indicator on it and you like push uh, like push on a pry bar and push in on a crank pulley. I don't know what the tolerance is, but if you can see movement in there, that's not great. Take off your belts when you do that. It'll be easier. Yep. This doesn't sound fun at all. No, it's not. I'd just chop up trucks all day. Yeah. <laughs> Way more fun. 
Yeah, uh, completely different stuff. Yeah. To add on to what Chad said, um, I will give Kevin Jones ultra ultra number four for Jones on uh, Instagram. He gave us a shout out last night. He was catching up on some episodes. Um, and I just want to emphasize from all the other off-road podcasts that we listen to, or at least I listen to, that he is actually the former racer ultra four jones uh because he didn't race in king of the hammers last year something about him building a completely new car and you know being a privateer and working on his own budget um and you know building it in his garage and he's uh a firefighter and has a family and kids and like there's a bunch of bullshit that he uses as excuses but Um, i almost understand the moral of the story is he's a former ultra four racer Kevin Jones. So, nice. I think we can and then fuck is, that, is he part of our Patreon? <laughs> we don't have a Patreon, unlike every other podcast out there. Someone we... send us beer. We'll drink it on the podcast. We'll mention yeah. your name. Um, I'm in. Steven's address is. <laughs> yeah. And also, if you guys ever notice, when I get rid of parts when I'm cleaning garage, I trade all my parts for Pacificos, unless it's, it's worth like more than like five hundred bucks. Fill my fridge with the Pacificos. You man, you can take almost anything you want out of my garage. How many Pacificos <laughs> do you want for that nine inch you have in your garage? How much is the average Pacifico worth? I haven't really figured out dollar value. In my opinion, a Pacifico is worth like a dollar twenty eight cents. I'd pay five dollars for one for sure. You right now, you would pay five dollars for a Pacifico. That's rough. It's, it's better than eight oh five. I agree, but I don't. I'll stick to to my twelve cents PBR. I've been drinking this you got pub race beer. car parts to build, right? <laughs> this pub beer, it's by Ten Barrels. I don't know if you can get it in the Nazi land that you live in, Stephen. Um, but it's uh, I live far five, enough from LA that it's okay. It's five percent, and like eighteen racks are like fourteen dollars. I'll have to give her a rip. Give it's like rip. Keystone. Keystone yeah. to go to when it comes yeah, to Keystone's that. Keystone's good. Keystone Ice. They have that up there. Yeah. We just get Keystone Light. Wow. Yeah. I that was you. the shit. Back when I was like young and broke, every Thursday, I worked 410s. Every Thursday, I'd stop by Rite Aid. It was like 12 bucks for a 30-pack. It would be gone by Friday afternoon. <laughs> 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 and I'd stop by again on Saturday morning. <laughs> we were in Leavenworth this weekend, and I, I don't know how many beers I drank. At one point, we were walking around, which if you're not from Washington, you don't know what Leavenworth is. It's a small, like touristy German town that's up here. Uh, and we stay at a spot that's right on the river. Um, you can like rent a cabin there and it's, you know, there's a ton of shit to do. It's super fun. Uh, but Leavenworth has a ton of breweries and cider houses and, uh, different tap rooms and stuff. So like you could drink in town and then you go back to a cabin and then you drink a bunch too. And we were walking around and my cousin, it's like, do you have beers in your pocket? I was like, yeah. And I had like six beers just stuffed in my pocket. I'm like, you're telling me you're walking around with one beer. (laughs) (laughs) Gotta stay with it. Yeah. So I drink like, you know, cargo pants. I I have, I have four out of my 36 pub beers I took. And then I took like two, six packs of IPAs. And then however many beers I drank in town, we don't need to go over. Um, your yeah, usually when I go out, usually my, my Airb fridge is 85% beer, 15% actual food. Yeah, yeah. that's how no, that's be. the best thing. I just recently That's got how a fridge it should because be. I bought a trailer and it came with the fridge. Right. And so I put it in my truck. And when we did Mojave Road, 
uh, a couple months ago or back in April. Uh, it was so nice because I'll, I would just bring a shit ton of warm beer, right? And anytime I drink some beer, just keep reloading. Yep. You can drink like yep. two thirty-six packs and you only have to put like 12 in at a time. It's fucking yep. awesome. Yeah, no, food is secondary for me. Yeah. Steven told me when he came up here for Brown's Camp a couple years ago, I was like, what do you need for food? I was like, I'll plan meals and stuff, but if you want a thing special, let me know. And he's like, all right. And all he sends me is, uh, I can't remember. It was like, he's like, get like a 36 rack or two of Miller Lite. <laughs> or I was going to be up there for four days. I need two. I brought and home. Uncrustables. Yeah. That was the other thing. Uncrustables. I think I brought home like four Miller Lights and they were, and I was like, they don't have 36 racks. I'll just buy it. And he, you know. he bought fucking 16 ounces. Yeah, there's 16 ounces. <laughs> so this, this guy drank like 40 something fucking 16 ounces Miller Lite. And it was like halfway through the trip. He's like, oh, these are 16s. <laughs> it took me a long Wait time a to figure yeah. out. I was like, damn, these are taking a long time to drink. I felt like a lightweight. <laughs> right. And also, I'm like, no wonder, man. These are 16ers. <laughs> I awesome. love it. All right, guys. Well, we'll call yeah, we it a night there. Not do uh, an hour or two and a half hour. Yeah, we're two so. hours in right now, so that should be more than. Well, it's good to. I don't think I've ever met Chad, and I don't think I've ever talked. Yeah, to no, him. I don't think so, man. Nice meeting Someone you. Someone posted your shit the other day, and I was like, "Oh, this guy's got a fucking cool surgeon." So I followed. Yeah, you. no, thank you. I, I try to go out pretty frequently. It just always ends up breaking. <laughs> yeah, I need that entertainment in my life. Yeah, well, well, I got it for you. I post quite a lot of my story with what the hell I got going on now. Yeah, I'll have to check that out. Hey, and Kyle and uh, you, Kyle. I haven't got to address this. Kyle, Noah, and Mike all agreed that Kayla was a better driver than I am. Thank you. I believe it. And oh, do, you, nice. do you have anything to say to this? Sorry that it's true. She says, sorry, it's true. <laughs> but Trevor's cuter. Oh, Steven says I'm cuter. <laughs> What's the name of your mechanic? <laughs> Yes, you. <laughs> oh, she doesn't want to discuss the name of her mechanic. Oh. <laughs> I am the driver. That's what we're she is the uh, I am the crew chief mechanic and truck driver. <laughs> there you go. All right, guys. All right. Good. good. What? I highly doubt that. But she's talking shit over here. I'm going to have to go beat her or something. There you go. Put her in a full Nelson. <laughs> go full Nelson. So, so you're going to hear John Cena. News. <laughs> yeah, you'll hear John Cena in the bathroom in a minute. Or in the, ba- in the bathroom? Sure, fuck it. I don't care. In the background in a minute. <laughs> nice. All right. We should probably uh, 